Howdy, everyone. You're watching Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space with me, Carter Laren, and this young lady, Carrie Smith. Hello, Carter. Good morning. Good morning. What's today? It's Friday, July 16th, which sucks because the summer is going by way too quickly. That's um, true. But hey, it happens. Um, let's see. Some show announcements. We should do some show announcements. If it's your first, first. time here, <laughs> there we go. you're watching Unsafe Space, Cafefe Break. This is a show we do live on Mondays and Fridays. On Fridays, we've been doing what we call Casual Fridays, where we're joined by guests, by friends, and just kind of chat and hang out and talk about the news. So we have two guests today we'll introduce in a moment. And announcements. We have book club coming up August 15th. August 15th. So you have time to read it. We're working on, we're doing nonfiction this month. We're reading the Anarchist Handbook by Michael Malice, which is a collection of essays. Yes. And the one after that, I think is Neuromancer. Um, but I don't know the date. Uh, so. But you can get started that's... now. And if you want yes. more info, you can go to unsafespace.com, the book club page. And it's always free to join and participate. We also have our first ever retreat coming up in August. And if you want to get more details on that, we still have day passes available. I believe we might have a room available. I'm not sure. But you can go to unsafespace.com yeah. to the retreat page and get more info. That's going to be here in Texas. And... What else? And if you like our show, uh, you can always support. And Carter's laughing because we decided we were going to come up with something fun to say about liking the like, hitting the like button. But I, I haven't practiced this yet. So here are some. I was just going to run this by you. Let's have a moment of silence while you hit the like button. No. Really? That's the okay. that's the big. Okay. Disrupt okay. their pattern, NLP style, a moment of silence. Okay, let's have a moment of violence while you... <laughs> well, they're no? the same thing, Carrie. So, <laughs> right, oh, I don't crap. understand. Uh, smash that like button peacefully. Uh, mm, peacefully uh. protest the like button? Yeah. Well, we could maybe brainstorm offline. I'm just kidding. That's as far <laughs> as I got. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, also, just go to unsafespace.com where everything will always be forever, even when Susan bans us, which does happen uh, from time to time. We get banned from YouTube and allowed back. Someday, we'll never be allowed back. So uh, let's hope that day is far away. Okay, let's introduce our guest. Uh, where's, okay, first, I had to find her. <laughs> our first guest is Sunny Loman. Sunny. Hello. Oops, let's do this. There we go. Hi, Sunny. Hello. Welcome. I like Thank your you. Sunny, I don't remember. I don't have your bio sitting in front of me. Usually I read it and tell people where to find you and what you're all about. So why don't you do that? Well, you can find me at Sunny Loman on Twitter or uh, houseofsunny.tv is my website. And I do a podcast right now, but I'm mainly a writer. Excellent. Funny writer. And and a funny writer. Humorous funny writer. writer. How It's hard to be uh, a satirist in today's world because you can't oh, really tell it. the difference between your stuff and CNN. It's real. <laughs> I, and I mean, I'm constantly re like reading real news and thinking for just as much is, is this satire or is this like a real story? Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It, it's gotta crazy be tough. Time. CNN is like they're the mainstream media is going to put you out of business. You think um, you're being absurd and a week later yeah. it happens. 
Yeah. I yeah. do sometimes read mainstream articles and I think, wow, I couldn't have thought of that as a satire piece. That was, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and our other guest is Cecil, but you should say Cecil Charles. <laughs> Cecil Martin. Cecil. <laughs> Top of the morning. Cecil to is you. sexier <clears throat> and makes him sound like he's uh, British. So we're going to go with Cecil. Yeah, but we're all about being authentic on this thing, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Purely authentic. You sound British to me. I don't have a skilled ear, so I would buy it. You think that I'm American? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) You're so good. See, are your parents British? Because you do the accent perfectly. You know it's not genetic, right? Accents. But you're around it a lot. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just playing. Um, thank you for that. Uh, my name is Cecil Charles, and you're American. I'm a, I'm a, I am American. Yeah, I'm coming out oh, today as, as American. Oh, it's uh, a big deal. Um, no, but I'm a, I'm a singer songwriter. Um, it, I guess, a quick bio of me. Originally from Reno, Nevada. I'm a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in '04. Um, and, but kind of my whole life, I have been very artistic and, um, the Navy had a big surplus at the time that I graduated. So a bunch of us went reserves. I went back and got my, uh, my master's in business. And then kind of finally after doing music, um, just as a hobby for my whole life, I, you know, I found myself six or seven years ago, you know, single, no kids. And I'm like, I, this is my favorite thing to do in my life. And so um, ended up moving to Nashville and spent three years in Nashville and have been doing music full time since. So, yeah. Cool. And, yeah. So and it's we... extremist music, right? It's yeah. very extremist. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about, um, you know, love and those feelings in your heart that um, that are, are scary. They really can be scary, especially when broadcast to big audiences. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I try to I try to fight the power with um, with my love songs, my lilting voice and my love songs. Can we talk about what happened to you this morning? Because I, mean, I just want to get that out of the way. Of course. It's funny, you and I, we had been talking about having you on the show at some point, and then I let the ball drop, apologies. And then today you got, we saw uh, Clifton Duncan had retweeted you where you got a gig canceled <laughs> mm-hmm. for what? Can you tell people about that? Yeah, um, so I'm down in North Carolina and rebuilding my circuit kind of between Richmond, Virginia, where I lived and North Carolina, where I'm living now and and trying to hit that whole area. And one of the places here in Greensboro, Little Brother Brewery or Brewing, I think is the name. um, They had booked me about a month and a half ago. You know, I'd had just purely email contact with the booker. Um, So I got booked about a month and a half ago. They started promoting the show about a week ago on Instagram sharing pictures of me and links to my music and that kind of thing. And, uh, and then last night I got a, an email um, while I was actually at a local open mic, just playing to, to spread the word and try to promote the show. Um, I got an email saying, um, we have decided to cancel the Saturday night gig conflict of interest. That's all they said. We noticed on Instagram that you were white. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming out as white also. There's a lot. <laughs> really. Yeah, a lot of personal stuff here coming out for the world. Um, anyway, so you know, I wrote back immediately. I was like, uh, "Conflict of interest? Do you mind elaborating?" Like, you know, I'm here at a at a gig promoting this show coming up, so lots of people are interested in coming. And they wrote back this morning, essentially what I posted on Twitter. And if anybody's interested in following my Twitter, it's the Cecil Charles. Um, but they they sent back a, a reply, basically saying like. Um, 
patrons of ours noticed on your social media that you do um, you do views or you have views that conflict with our views. I should be reading it directly off of the tweet, but anyway, the the long story short is um, you have your you have the right to speak your mind, but we aren't going to support your views, and so we're not we're not going to employ you. So wow. and they didn't specify they didn't specify what views. Just no, I wrote views. back immediately saying, "Can you specify?" And I haven't heard anything since, but. Um, you know, then there's been kind of a Twitter storm against Little Brother Brewing. So I'm a feel I have a feeling I won't hear back from them that uh, <laughs> that that bridge is kind of burnt at this point. Well, the funniest comment I, I saw have. was the that somebody who said, "Don't you mean Big Brother yes. Brewing?" <laughs> Little Brother Brewing. Wow. It should be Big Brother. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So do they have yeah. the contract? Do, like, do when you when you do? I don't know. I've never been yeah. in a position. So sometimes, like, is there a contract that gets signed? Wouldn't that be in violation of a contract or no? If there was a contract, it it could be in violation of the contract. I have a feeling that a lot of venues who actually book, you know, for ticketed shows and things that they have to really put money into promoting, I'm sure that there's still fine print in there that that allows them to get out of being the venue for an artist. But um, you know, a contract can be written however you want. So sure. I'm sure a lot of artists put in the contract that if you cancel for whatever reason you still owe me half the money or whatever right this wasn't like this this was me playing at a little brewery you know for not a huge amount of money and um yeah i would say that just the fact that i'm here talking to y'all is a fantastic silver lining to everything that's happened i mean it, it's kind of funny i don't feel like i'm you know some victim it it happened this happens to a lot of people um and it's definitely been great, the outpouring of support that I've seen so far. So it's, it's wonderful. I love this in a way because I think I think we're always looking for silver linings. We're always looking for indications that the tide might be turning. And I think that, um, you know, what can you do when somebody, when there's a musician like you or an artist or a comedian like Sonny or someone who's not afraid to put themselves out there and to have an opinion and, you know, who's unwilling to self-censor. Mm -hmm. in this crazy, like increasingly dystopian time, what can you do to support them? If you're someone who doesn't want to lose your job, but you want to support what they're doing, you can follow them. You can check out their music. You can check out their book or whatever they have out. You can, you can support people with your attention span and with your dollars. And you saw that outpouring of support immediately, which I love. So it's like, dude, like turn it around. It's the Barbara Streisand effect, right? Like they try to cancel one little gig and if you can take those grapes and make wine out of it, like turn it into something positive, do it. It'd be so interesting to take every single person that that bar is associated with and dig up dirt now. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Like not talk to anybody? I mean, I, I even like you see like the, I don't know if you guys saw this, but BLM just got Boston Gay Pride canceled. Because there weren't oh. enough minorities on the leadership of Boston Pride. So it's like, you know, you can't associate with anyone if you go down that road of like, do they fit everything, I think? I mean, do you know anybody who thinks what you think? Exactly. exactly? No. I mean, yeah. not a single person. Not a single person. So. Yeah. It's so, it's so ridiculous. And I, and also, one thing you said to me before we uh, went live was that you keep your Twitter and your uh, Instagram and Facebook separate, right? Like you put your music stuff on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter is yeah. just for your opinions. Right. I mean, I put my music stuff on Twitter also, but right. I'm on I'm on Twitter for the conversation, for the political commentary. And because it's, I mean, I'm 
I'm on there because it's super important to me as it is to all of us here and probably everybody talk. listening, like to actually talk about what's going on, to feel like you can share your opinion, see what other people are saying. Um, and so that's been very important to me. And, but at the same time, I'm very aware of like, if I were to take something that I wrote on Twitter and just without warning, drop that on my Facebook, like, you know, I, that's, it's a totally different crowd of people. It's friends and family and that kind of thing. And so I, I have tried to separate those two, but you know, I mean, Twitter is my name. And I think that's something you're not I, afraid. I'm not, I'm not afraid in the sense that, um, you know, I'm an artist. I'm not doing something that where I'm reporting to a specific boss who might fire me and that might be all of my income gone. You know, I get to, I get to be in this position where I make money from lots of little places and that, um, you know, they say diversification is the best strategy. That's kind of the situation I'm in that lets me be myself and be um, outspoken on Twitter non-anonymously. And I saw a lot of people today on Twitter saying, you know, that's why like I'm anonymous. That's why I stay anonymous. And I get that. Um, but at the same time, for me, um, I personally think that we resonate when people are themselves and they're, they're authentic and they speak yes. their voice. And um, while, you know, if somebody feels that it's, in their best interest to stay anonymous because of the risks that their family might have or whatever. Um, I hope that in, as we go, more people change it just to their name and they speak as themselves because I don't see any other way around this. Yeah. So, but you don't send out your Twitter to promote your show. So you didn't send your Twitter account to this brewery, this brewing no, company. No, sorry. Yeah. So when I, they when, didn't... I, when I book with venues and whatnot, I just send them links to my YouTube and my Instagram and that kind of thing. Not, never to Twitter, just because. You mean you, <laughs> you think just the music is important? When, right. Yeah. I, when yeah. yeah my my artist. Play music. Right. right. Huh. So yeah, they went. Crazy belief. So they went and dug up on your Twitter account. They went, they had to do this extra step of looking you up on Twitter or some patron of theirs or what. Yeah. Some Stukachi had to go be like, let's see what we can find. Now you use that word. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know Stukachi. Isn't that the word from the Soviet Union for people who turn on uh, their family and friends? Is it? Yeah. So it was I, know. It, well, I know Stasi the Stasi a, from Stasi? Uh, West Germany or East Germany, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's Stukachi. It's Stukachi. Russian. It's You're an the informer. Russian bot, Carrie. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Educate us. <laughs> uh, here it is from the Russian. It's an informer. It's one who turns in one's friends, family, and neighbors to the secret police, usually for a reward or advantage. It's considered one of the foulest insults in the Russian language. Nice. Uh, yes. Well, that's or all or for the, the advantage of not being turned in yourself by the other Stukachi standing next to you. Right. All right. Yeah. So um, Cecil, just really quick before we move on from, mm -hmm. from your wrong think how bad are you how horrible are your beliefs and how much of a nazi are you can you describe your evil right um i think you know i'm that's your sins right now i'm yeah, firmly out of the way i'm firmly aware of why i disagree with collectivist thinking and uh and i think that that flies in the face i mean you were talking sunny you were talking just a moment ago about like if you were to look at everybody who is a patron of little brother brewing and like are they all going to fit into this little perfect box of, of their mindset? Are they correct in all of their views? And I think, I think that's the problem. That's the main problem with collectivism is, is like, as soon as you try to put people into these boxes, they're never going to fit. And the collectivists are, 
utopians in my mind, they, they think that their concept about reality is more important than what reality actually is. And so they'll do anything that they can to like force people into boxes or to make them say or do the correct thing because they are certain that that will lead to some sort of better life or better world. And I, I, I don't believe that that's the way. And so, you know, I state those kinds of things on Twitter all the time, um, sometimes with an F word thrown in sometimes not, you know, but at the same time, like, I just don't care at this point. I'm tired of this culture of bullying. And, uh, and I think, I think we're so much better than this. And as people like Douglas Murray will say, like, we're just bored of talking about this bullshit. Like it's, yeah. it's just, and I know that that's not necessarily the right strategy to say like, I'm done, I'm bored, but there is an aspect of that. Like life is so much more interesting than yes. this stuff that I we're was- talking about daily. I was just talking to my friend yesterday about that. Remember when you could just live your life without it being everywhere? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. everywhere. There isn't a, anywhere that you can go. You, your kids' school, your kids' friends, your um, the TV shows that you watch. Every cartoon that my daughter watches, I have to preview to make sure it's not indoctrinating her. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. I need to relax, you know. Yeah. But it is everywhere. We're getting ready to, well, I just got an email from someone today talking about how it's in veganism. And I'm like, yeah, of course it is. I'm not surprised. And, and I'm getting ready. In veganism? I'm <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. we're getting ready to do an interview with uh, Matt Deckard about it being in the retro clothing world. Uh, people who like to wear retro clothing and in the swing dance community. But do you remember so, a couple of years ago, there was like a knitting community? Yes, it's in the like knitting world. Drama. I mean, it's everywhere. Can go anymore. It's everywhere. I, I, can I can I be the curmudgeon and challenge something? Yeah. That Cecil said. Definitely. Are we better than this? <laughs> uh, well, you I, mean I, humanity. I think that I think that mm-hmm. I think we've shown that we can be. I mean, I think that this is a sickness. I think it's a mental illness that's on scale, you know, on mass. And um, Are there, weren't we better than this in the eighties? Yeah, I mean, look, yes, like we I, were in the. 80s. I grew up yeah. in the eighties and the nineties, and yeah. I think it was better. I mean, maybe, maybe we weren't dealing with the undercurrent of these, this ideological battle that we're in. Maybe we were like turning a blind eye to it during those decades. And that's why it's sprouted up to where it is now. So maybe we were, you know, amiss or remiss, I should say in that way. But um, I do think we're so much better than this. And I think that we've seen over and over, like how this collectivist mind virus, parasitic mind, you know, as Gadsad will say, like, I think we've seen how it's both orchestrated and very um, passive. Like it's, it appeals to our bad nature. It appeals to the yeah. victim in all of us. It makes us, you know, and it appeals to that part of us that want, want to be in a community. Like, you know, that's what it is. It's basically like, Hey, did you know you're part of this group because of X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z? And now you get to be part of that group. And, and so it's just appealing to that desire to be connected which yeah. we all have that desire, but it goes about it the incredibly wrong way. So Yeah, I mean, they do conflate community with collectivism, which are not the same. They're actually opposites. Right. Um, but uh, I, the reason I was asking, I know it was kind of a cynical question to ask, but I was yeah. thinking about the 80s, actually, <laughs> earlier today. Such a great Sonny. time. I know. <laughs> uh, and I get that, like, I'm the old nostalgic guy. He's like, I grew up in the 80s, and the time I grew up was the best, and the music was the best, and everything was the best. And, you know, I get that. But everyone um, agrees. Everyone the music was agrees. not the best. All our friends agree. Everyone looks back on the 80s. But even young people, like my, <laughs> my little Gen Z uh, nieces are like, 
dressing like the 80s. They listen to 80s music. They think it's oh, really? like this okay. golden decade. Yeah, they have a nostalgia for a time they didn't live through the same way that we had a nostalgia for the 60s mm-hmm. or the 20s. You I know, think, yeah, there was like this golden era, the 50s, 60s that we used to look back on. That's how people view the 80s. Yeah, sure. Well, so here's my here's my I'm trying to be introspective about it. And granted, I wasn't in charge of anything in the 80s. I was a kid. Right. So like our generation wasn't responsible that I look back and I think like, okay, how great were the 80s? Because they brought us here. So like they are that like no matter how nostalgically great things were in the past, something must have been wrong in the past because we got here. So what the hell did we screw up in the in the good times? so that we cannot screw that up again so we don't get to this. We're so maybe we were too tolerant. We were tolerant I of... I love you, Sonny. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> we need more cancel culture, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, our decision who gets canceled. <laughs> we no, need to be in charge. Expand on that, though. I think you're the... There's truth to that, though. I think we were too tolerant of really bad ideas, not in a they should be canceled way, but in a they should be listened to and considered seriously way. And they should have been dismissed out of hand. I don't know. I mean, like you look at now this battle with the CRT ideology and it being taught to little kids and high schoolers, um, elementary schoolers, which, you know, uh, and, and now people are saying, let's ban it. You know, and by the way, these are government schools and obviously that's that's a problem. But I think that there's a legitimate, there's a legitimate thing for a community to say, I don't want my kids taught this because it's really toxic and really nasty. It'd be like saying they're being taught overt racism in school. Yeah. I don't um, think we, I don't think we were too tolerant in the eighties. This, it wasn't that we were too tolerant then it was that we were too distracted. People, even now there are people who haven't, started paying attention to this because they're so easily distracted. Like the majority of the population, if you can keep them like entertained with their bread and circuses, it wasn't that they were hearing critical race theory, hearing any of these ideas back then and saying, okay, let's put that, let's, let's give it, uh, you know, let's give it a, a credence or let's let, let, you know, let's consider it or give it. I don't think that happened until a little later. Maybe I've got the times well, wrong, but, but, but I don't but think they, that happened. They were hearing the precursor to CRT. I, and that's my point. Like mm-hmm. we were hearing pre, like collectivist that's precursors right. to this for a century. It, and we've been tolerant when, of all when of When I was in high school, I remember um, some of this stuff, the critical race theory stuff. And before that, we let the Marxists invade the universities without a peep because we're like, well, we're a Western society. We allow any ideas. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I I think Carrie's kind of right too, though, that there was a certain amount of what's sort of gone wrong is that people have stopped participating like in the civic duty of running their local school board and, you know, being involved I it, I saw like a chart or something like our grandparents, the number of hours they spent dealing with that kind of stuff was like a lot higher than what people spend today. Interesting. So you think that we In just terms got complacent? Of the number of hours it was all spent. going well. Yeah, so. we got complacent. Yeah, th- We've had think- too much, too many choices, too many opportunities. Like it's all it's it's that meme about it. Good times create 
what, what is it? Bad times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men. And it's like a cycle. I think that's true. I don't think there's anything you can do to stop that because during good times, then there's, there's just an explosion of, uh, of, of choices in every, like you go to the supermarket and you can choose between a hundred different cereals. Do you know what I mean? Like that's so distracting. <laughs> I don't know. If I'm, am I making sense? I, I, don't find, I don't find that the distraction. I, I just, I do think there is a correlation though. Maybe what I can embrace in what you're saying is I think there's a correlation between standard of living being really high and life being very easy and yeah. not caring about stuff that kind of matters, like getting just kind of like complacent in complacent, the comfort. Yes. Or, like, or my cat's being a jerk, you guys. Look at your kitty cat. <laughs> so I, I keep thinking that, um, you know, and, and my knowledge of the philosophers like back into the 1800s is not, I'm not, I'm no scholar when it comes to that, but, but specifically to like what was going on in the 80s or likely in dec the decades prior to that. Um, I think one thing that we should talk about is kind of like the level of how popular it is to basically be snarky and snide in and dismissive in saying that life is meaningless or the universe has no meaning. And I know, I know Carter and Carrie, you two kind of differ in, in your religious views and that's, that's great. I think that there is something about, about our culture in the sense that we're, it's just, it's very hip and in style, especially in the academic elite, the scientific elite. I mean, look, listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about it. Like he was on a tweet storm, what, two weeks ago, all about how aliens would never be interested in humans and how, you know, essentially his overall vibe was that we humans are piddly little shits that are just like, um, you know, meaningless in the grand scheme of things. And whether that's ultimately true or not, it doesn't do anything good for our psyche to like sit here and think that our purpose on earth or our lack of purpose on earth is what defines us. Um, again, a lot of people are scared when you start talking about that because they immediately think that you're suggesting, you know, it's God or it has to be the Christian God or whatever. And they may not believe that story, but I think ultimately, you know, we're in this phase and I think it was happening in the sixties and seventies, especially um, where we're suffering from, from a group think of, of a degree of nihilism where we basically, we think that there's no overarching meaning. It was great in the eighties and nineties. And so we never had to really fight as a, as a culture um, and deal with, with the suffering that other cultures have been through previously. Like we had kind of a nice golden era, you know, in the hundred, the hundred cereal boxes on the shelves are, you know, evidence of that. Um, but I think it took us away from, from that, which, allows us to find meaning in life. And I think that's some sort of existential philosophy, some sort of belief. And, and I think we're seeing that. And I, I, I know, realize that's me like trying to open the conversation to a much bigger, bigger realm, but I, I think there's something in that. And if you want to talk about like what we were doing wrong in the eighties, I think it's some aspect of that. Like we let that just continue that snide, snarky cynicism, just continue. Do you think it's weird? The more successful we get as humans, the less meaning we have like doesn't that shouldn't it be the opposite well jordan peterson would say like the the responsibility that you take on the hardship that you put yourself through is somehow like irrevocably attached to meaning itself 
And, and I, I don't really disagree with that. I mean, in a way, I think like we are all stories in our own mind. We are like all our own protagonist. And what story do we all want? We want some story about a person who like goes from here to here and they have to like climb this mountain and get there. And that story requires there to be a mountain. It requires there to be an obstacle. And frankly, we have that obstacle inside us all the time. It's like our id or our ego or whatever it is, you know, or if it's the devil on our shoulder telling us to do the wrong thing, like we have that difficulty, that obstacle in our own brain, in our own psyches. And I think we've just like forgotten that. I think we've mm -hmm. somehow by with our phones and our YouTube and everything that's immediate, like we've just gotten away from that. So, well, and we create mountains out of molehills because we want mountains. Right. So like, that's a good point. This is, you, you uh, see a lot of people feeling <laughs> verklempt about things that are kind of minor Carter, problems. Is that, is that you just came up with that or did I'm, you read that? I'm pretty impressed. That's we got to put me? that on a meme with your face. Sometimes even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while, Sonny. Um, There's another one. But that was not me that that I've heard before. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think that we like you do see that in people's psychology where they get comfortable and they need drama. They need some kind of battle. So they create out of little meaningless, petty things become blown up. Um, and you see this also not only on personal levels, you see this on, on cultural levels as well, right? When um, <laughs> when large populations are starving, they don't care about a lot of the petty things that we care about. They, they're yeah. very focused on getting food. And then later, they'll care about who's tweeting what, but that's not important to them right now. Um, and so as as our, our standard of living gets uh, gets easier and things get easier for us, we kind of need challenges. And so maybe our challenges turn into like, oh my God, someone on the internet says something I disagree with. That's a big deal. And I have to go like fight this battle. Right. Well, that's also what I mean about choices too, in a way, because it's sort of when you, when life becomes so easy and you don't really have to struggle to survive every day because all of your basic needs are taken care of. And, and we live kind of this luxurious lifestyle in very good times um we turn on the water faucet and the water's there and the you turn on the lights and the power works and you know then your choices become the things throughout the day become it's like which of these 100 cereals am i going to choose do i want chunky salsa or non-chunky salsa like it's like just so many distracting non-meaningful things so this is related to another problem um which is going to sound unrelated well well maybe it'll be obvious Wealthy people have this problem with raising their children because mm -hmm. they don't want their kids to be to be for want. They've got like, let's imagine, imagine yourself, Carrie, as someone who's got, you know, a few tens of millions of dollars in the bank. You don't want your kid to be to undergo hardships if whatever your kid wants, like you want to make their life easy. The flip side is the easier you make their life, the shittier they turn out as a human being. Yes. And so like you, I'm an you example of that. <laughs> so you want there to be challenges and there's this struggle of, of like yeah yeah how much suffering do i intentionally give this person i love so that they turn out to be better and happier and, and, and more adjusted individuals and it seems like it's kind of the same question like what do we do with humanity when we have something close to capitalism and are wildly successful and people have 
thousands of channels at their fingertips and can, you know, access the world's information on their iPhone and their 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 hardest problem is, you know, what they're going to order on DoorDash tonight for dinner. Like when that becomes their life, their life how do we i don't want to introduce hardship to people but like the question is like what do we do for like how do we keep that society going because otherwise it does turn to crap i don't i don't know if you i don't know if you can carter i mean i guess that's a struggle i, I don't have a good answer for this i know there's going to be dead silence here for a minute but i don't have a good answer <clears> for this how do you keep them? And and there's a problem with people who who gain a lot of power and wealth too. We've talked about this before. I know it doesn't always happen. I know some people become grounded before they achieve fame and wealth, and they can maintain that, or they work hard to maintain it. I think people like Dave Chappelle is a great example of someone who, I think, just looking at him from afar, I think he's trying hard to main to stay grounded, but but it's very easy. I used to work in entertainment. I would see people who. They let all that stuff go to their head and then they're not living in reality anymore. They can't even relate to the average human anymore because they don't have that, the same kind of everyday adversities. So that's what I was thinking when you were talking about, someone was talking about turning on the water. Was it you or Sunny? Me. All females are the same to me. One of you was talking about okay. <laughs> okay. on the water. Uh-uh. But, nice. so, okay, so Sunny was talking about turning on the water. I know. We're already demonetized and, and in trouble anyway, so I figured I'd just right. let it all out. Um, but like, that's, that's something that I often think about with my own kid is like, how much does she need to see what nature is like without the conveniences we have? Like, you don't just, it actually, the chicken that you like doesn't come from the store in a package or from DoorDash. It comes from a chicken that you kill. That's where it comes from. Like, there's some kind of like the, the, the easier life gets the more disconnected we are from the harsh reality of our natural state. And then we don't appreciate anything that we have on top and of our natural maybe, state. Maybe, you know, all. it's not just the lack of appreciation, but like what you were saying about making mountains out of little hills. If you don't know what a mountain looks like, you see a hill and go, oh my God, it's such a big hill. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no frame I, of reference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> these, little, these little hardships. And I mean, you see, we were watching this was Gen Z. I think we're all sort of going, what the heck? You know, like, we're, <laughs> what is wrong with you? The anxiety and the depression over nothing when they have these perfect lives. And um, part of it is they don't know what real struggle looks like. You know, I, I think a lot of it is we're not teaching people to understand why struggle is important. I mean, you know, because none of us are going to have the same level of struggle. We, you know, we, there's no equality. I would say that there's no, there's never actually going to be equality of opportunity if you want to look at that in a big way in terms of not everybody is born to the same parents or with the same body or genetically. Yeah. yeah. In the same location, in the same, you know, uh, economy, it, you can't, you cannot have a perfect equality of opportunity. But, and so I think we're all approaching this situation and and I think the general public is frustrated because they're not even people don't even seem to be aware that that hardship is what makes meaning and like and there's a you know there's a, a, a connection between those two things that is part of our psychology and so if you either think that there should be no hardship at all you know because you're look you're resentful about life and you think that it's all going against you and and the way to fix it is to have no hardship or you think that everybody should be exactly the same it's like you can't ever do any of those things 
And so all we have is our ability to, to transmute whatever happens to us into a story of our life. I mean, that's like what we're able to do is to reframe things, reframe the things that happen to us and to, and to pull that into some narrative of meaning for our life. And if people don't understand that, then they're just, I mean, they're going to be upset by everything because, because life never fits into some conceptual box that you think it will. I mean, it's, and it's like in Zen, you know, that you, Carter, you were talking about at some point, you know, the things have to be done in real life that are dirty or whatever. And, and one of the Zen adages is just like, before you are awakened, you chop wood and you carry water. And then after you're awakened, you chop wood and you carry water. And the idea is like, those things don't go away. That having to deal with cleaning up your bathroom or, you know, going to a job that you hate, like that just doesn't go away easily. We're always in the midst of life in this precarious thing. And, and if we think that all we have to do to fix life is to make it fair or non-precarious, we're deluding ourselves. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's why it's a mass psychosis that we're dealing with because so many people are at that point where they think it has to be a specific way to be happy. And it's like, Or they no. think that's possible and it's not. Right. Right. Can I read one of my favorite, you guys humor me and let me read this really quick. This is one of my favorite quotes. I've read it on the show before, but it's been a long time. It's a, uh, the Baha religion. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. B-A-H-A-I. Baha'i. Baha'i. Um, is it like surfing? Yes. No. All they do. <laughs> I'm in. I'll take uh, it. I'll join you Chan- This channel is surfing. from Abdul Baha. And he says, the more, I mean, this is something, this is a sentiment you can, that several different faiths have at its core, but I like the way he writes about it. He says, the more difficulties one sees in the world, the more perfect one becomes. The more you plow and dig the ground, the more fertile it becomes. The more you cut the branches of a tree, the higher and stronger it grows. The more you put the gold in the fire, the purer it becomes. The more you sharpen the steel by grinding, the better it cuts. Therefore, the more sorrows that one sees, the more perfect one becomes. That's why in all times, the prophets of God have had tribulations and difficulties to withstand. The more often the captain of a ship is in the tempest and difficult sailing, the greater his knowledge becomes. Therefore, I am happy that you have had great tribulations and difficulties. Strange it is that I love you, and still I am happy that you have had sorrows. Isn't that what you're talking about with your kids, right? It's like a little bit, and and I'll be I'll be honest as a someone with an objectivist background, there was a woman in my life at one point who was extremely Catholic. Uh, and she was an extremist. She's a Catholic extremist. Um, and she was really trying to convince me of the value of, not the value of suffering, but that like suffering was this like super, super important thing. And life was all about suffering and suffering. I don't know if that's a Catholic thing, but she was really into suffering. Um, and she was an older lady. And, uh, she gave me books to read about how great suffering is. And I really, really pushed back because I do not believe that suffering is the point to human existence <laughs> at all. Um, and I still don't believe that. Uh, however, 25, 30 years later, I'm looking back going, well, but there is value to suffering. Like you can't, there can be growth that happens from suffering. And there is a, there, there is a problem that happens if you go through life with never any hardship and I'm just curious if anyone else has kind of struggled with this idea that suffering is like, I, I kind of, 
by default, I'm like, yes, we should all have lives without suffering. But now I'm not totally sure about that. <laughs> or, or even if that's possible. I mean, is it even right. possible? It's probably um, not possible. So I, I agree, Carter. And I think I've had the same with the objectivist background. I've had the same sort of weird conflict as I've gotten older. And then, you you know, if you read like Viktor Frankl and you read it and Jordan oh, Peterson yeah. and stuff, um, and you do realize and, and thinking about these issues and thinking about my own child and wanting her to um, not have it too easy. It's so weird because I love her so nice. much. Like I want to like cover her in bubble wrap, but... I, you know, I have to let her get hurt. And I mean, if you take that down to a small scale, she's out there physically running around. She comes home every day with new bruises and and things. And she's climbing on monkey bars and falling. And I could stop that. You know, I could put a stop to that. And she wouldn't ever have another scar or, you know, but she would not learn how to coordinate her body. <laughs> she would not like be able to function very well. She would miss out on certain pleasures and joys in life of having a body that works and knowing how to use it, you know? Yeah, and it's an interesting. And so on. So it's, well, I just want to finish my point by saying it's definitely not like the goal. I'm not striving right. for suffering. I'm striving for happiness and, and, a good life and values. But even that it's like gotten to the point where I, I just think of it so differently than I did when I was younger reading Ayn Rand, you know, yeah. I just, yeah, me too. It's less about happiness in that, in this, I, I, I feel like when I was younger reading Ayn Rand, happiness was much closer to hedonism than now I view happiness as this very long-term principle based, yes. like mm -hmm. contentment thing, which is, which is what Almost. she said. Yeah, you but know, I didn't hear it. She said that. Yeah, right. And I think that maybe that takes age. It takes long maybe. a life before you really look at it, before you get that feeling of, you know, even in the worst of times, I have a generalized sense of things are, life is life and life is okay. And, you know, a general happiness, I guess. Yeah. Or, or sad it like, or or satisfaction or sense of, of, I, I almost just want to say peace. It sounds religious, but like this sense of like, yeah, like I'm content. Content is a good word. Well, I think, you know, so much of philosophy and religion, there's a, there's an ultimate like surrender to life. There's, you know, faith, I think at its core is some sort of surrendering to God, like letting God, you know, God's plan, however you want to conceive of that, um, the, the dissolution of the ego in the Eastern religions is the same thing. It's like, hey, this this person who I think I am, you know, is less is probably less important. My own individual goals are in some way always going to be in in um, some sort of friction with life, you know, because life never turns out exactly how we want. So I think um, so much of suffering has to do it's it it's right alongside our desires. Anytime we think we want something, it means we don't have it. And so there's that feeling of desire for something. And, the, and that's a degree of suffering. I mean, it's not yeah. prolonged suffering. It's not a gulag, it's, but it's at the same time, it's still that little thing. And I, I, you know, I think we need to understand that, understand that that's part of hum being a human being. And that doesn't go away, even if we had everything. Like, you know, the Solzhenitsyn quote, where it's like, you can give people 
anything and everything, or was it Dostoevsky? Like where give them anything that they want. You can, you can, as Jordan Peterson likes to remind people, like you can busy, you can give them everything such that all they have to do is busy themselves with the proliferation of the species, like having sex. Like that's all they have to do. They have every want and need taken care of. And they're going to trash the place within a week because they're, <laughs> they're like, this is, this is boring. Like we want some drama. We want drama. And, you know, and I think we're going to be consumed by drama if we don't understand that that's a part of our nature that wants it. And so then you can like step back from it a little bit and see like, oh, this is part of meaning. This is part of what allows me to live a fulfilling life. So what we're saying is that psychologically, culturally, we are destroying our society yeah. to rebuild it, to have something to do. <laughs> We're in bored. a way, so we've got to tear it all down. Just, and that's in a way, yes, horrifying. Yeah. Will we in ever reach the stars with such a with <laughs> such a eventuality? I mean, is there ever a time that humans will be able to just advance, just continue to advance rather than have this happen? No, I think, I think it's always that meme is accurate. I think this is inevitable. It happens. When you reach that state of, uh, of of having everything very easy and very convenient, and I think this is what you see humans on mass, they tend towards this. this Let chaos. me throw something controversial out, though. Humans, not a static concept. We do evolve. Uh, Fifty percent of our psychology, at least, is genetic. So, um, if you had an environment where there was genetic pressure on a psychology that was healthier, humans would change and this would not be our state. But if you've got dysgenic mm. pressure where this is encouraged, humans will continue to wallow. So in are you saying state. we need to sterilize everybody? Who's <laughs> yes, obviously what problem. I'm saying now no. is the government should come in. Really, no. Fauci should decide. I think that's what um, you just said. As the chief that's scientist, what that's why, yeah, that's exactly what I said, yeah. No. The Fauci ouchie is actually now the testicles. <laughs> Maybe yes. that's what this vaccine is. Sarcasm. Sorry, did but I, I don't mean to say the word to get you banned, but sarcasm. Maybe, uh, YouTube's sarcasm button. <laughs> uh, All hail Fauci. I just wow. wanted to send you, I'm going to break this up for a second. Was, this is a very interesting conversation, but I wanted to, I sent you a YouTube video, Carter. And me? Oh. Yes. And before we move on to the next topic, there is one other thing I would like to hit today if we have time, and I know we're going to lose Sunny soon. Can I say one little thing yeah, about this topic yeah. real quick? The only thing that I wanted to say was as a songwriter, one of my favorite things is realizing that my favorite songs are the ones where I took something very painful and made it beautiful. And so like the songs that mean the most to me tend to be the ones where it's some sort of real life, difficult, painful, you know, That's suffering filled experience that I then transmute into something beautiful. And it doesn't make that experience any less painful, really. But it does give me this this secondary thing that's like that's like an actual piece of beauty that that balances the whole thing, you know. So it's that's fascinating. Every single exactly. joke, every joke I've ever written is from rage or pain of some kind, right? I mean, if without that, I'm not even motivated to think of something. Wow. But I would say every comedian would say that. Like there's not every joke is some irritation or like it's it's something irritating. Yeah, but you used the word rage. That was like that's that's <laughs> okay. intense. Well, it's because I write about <laughs> politics. 
primarily. Oh, so. I see. So as a result, yeah, it's like it goes that far. Sorry. It's like I have my many, many Seinfeld <laughs> moments where I'm like, oh, my God, the driver with the, you know. But when I'm actually working, it's it's triggered by some real anger. Like, I can't believe those people are doing that. And then I write about it. So do you, do you feel lucky? Because I know I feel lucky that I get that I have that ability yes. to make art, you know, to it's make a total something coping strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's coping, but at the same time, like, I mean, the people who experience the art are doing the same thing. They're, they're True. hearing a song that is both That's sad right. and beautiful. They're hearing it a joke that is their emotion. Exactly. And, yeah. and I, you know, I, so I personally feel yeah. like a very lucky, fortunate human being that I get to do this on my own, you know? And, and again, yeah. it's not everybody is an artist. Not everybody's going to be an artist. But I feel lucky for that reason. So. I think I'm, yeah, and I'll, I, I think I walk around more cheerful because I don't get sucked into the the rage, you know, the mm. emotion of getting upset about politics. It upsets me for thirty seconds before I'm thinking, what can I do with that? Of you know, a joke. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wrote a joke yesterday. Do you want to hear it, Sunny? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I heard. I love your delivery already. <laughs> I heard that Madonna is starting a new website called Lonely Fans. It's where she pays. It's where she pays her fans to look at nudes of her. Oh, she, she pays, pays the fans that. to look at nudes of fans. her. Yeah, I like that. No, I, Carrie, yeah. that is not the joke God. that you said. Yes, you censored your joke, <laughs> Carrie. I I changed. I it. Saw, I, I know the original <laughs> joke. You censored the joke, Carrie. I made it about someone else. What? That's not as funny with this Madonna. It was funnier. <laughs> well, what was the uncensored one? Is it a, no. about a, a Twitter rivalry that we no. might all be aware of? It's just about a, no. It's someone that you probably wouldn't know anyway, so it's fine. Madonna is the. Sad, <laughs> sad Madonna, right? It's so sad watching her. Any uh, lonely fans. I mean, it would work. That joke works for Madonna, too. She's at I that love point it. where desperate, it's, like, it's just this weird desperation. Um, oh. Josh Slocum wrote this very interesting, Josh Slocum for the Disaffected podcast, is someone who loves Madonna, wrote this really great essay about how sad it is to watch her, like, hoping that she would reach a certain, at a certain age, she would reach a level of maturity where where she would grow out a lot of out of a lot of her uh, what you might call disordered behavior from when she was younger, and she's really just sort of stayed the same. And so you see her now in her sixties, putting out trying to put out like these really sexy, thirsty selfies with her like twenty something year old boyfriend. Yeah, she is really. <laughs> and there's something um, grotesque about that. I think it's grotesque is the right yeah. word. It's so sad. And I'm a huge fan. I mean, yeah. I like I, I grew up in the Madonna. 80s yeah. like she was yeah. one, that was one of the first records I ever had was Madonna Madonna I mean it's she was um a huge role model to me sadly I don't think that was probably appropriate <laughs> for me when I was a kid but nevertheless like I really I love her and it do is you, it's do you still have a pointy bra her. that's the question do you still have the pointy <laughs> bra that was later that was okay. later I definitely had the like the lace hair thing and the the rubber bracelets and oh my god she was so punk you know yeah. but yeah um but you know yeah, she is it's just hard watching at this point 
there's this I haven't paid attention to her. I'm surprised I'm I'm disappointed learning this that she's still the same. Yeah. I so kind of hoped she'd retired and went off and did something else. I don't think she is the same. I mean, I guess she's the same in the sense that she's wants the same things. She's still wants a 25 year old boyfriend and she still wants like I don't understand that. There's like zero growth, but yeah. What was cool about Madonna was how good she was at reading culture and shifting and changing and always was cool. And now she's not cool at all. Like you could easily be the coolest 60 something year old. She could figure out a way to just age in a cool way. That would be so innovative. Yeah. She's no longer innovative. She's just uh, sad. It's just sad. It's she's sad. So Her... plastic. She's just. Yeah, she could have aged in a way where people our age admire her aging, yes. right? And be right. like, oh, that's the way I want to be. Just like we said when we were 10, we could say it when we're 40, right? She could be she could be admirable to young people who look up to someone in their 60s and get, you know, wisdom from that person. Um, a person that they can look at and go, oh, she's cool. Even though she's older, I'm going to listen to what she says. But she she's not doing that. She's just pathetic. It's really awful. Can you think of a pop star who did that? Who's who's aged in a graceful way? Yeah, wow. like the way that you admire her. I know you're you can't say Dolly Parton. David Bowie. Say- <laughs> David Bowie aged gracefully. Um, okay. Yeah, Bowie I seemed think, somehow because uh, he was like he was Eric more Clapton. interested. I feel like Bowie was more interested in being authentic, even though it was so weird, than being cool. Yeah. And I and whereas I think Madonna, if I my gut was talking, it would simply be that she was more interested in being cool than being authentic. And she rode that wave, I think, for a while. But uh, did anybody see Jordan Peterson talking to Stephen Fry recently? They had a an amazing no. podcast. Stephen Fry is a, a an actor, um, a writer, comedian. comedian. Yeah, yeah, amazing guy. But one of the, one of my favorite things is he's he's older and he had, he was in he's famous, and he was doing the podcast in his living room and behind him was just like this very comfortable looking living room with like a fireplace and books and it looked like yours like it looked like the all three of you it just looked very authentic and. The conversation itself was wonderful, but it was also just kind of cool to see like that looks like a well-lived living room, and that that's like a person that I feel like I could sit down and have a real conversation with. And I think, I think because we're in this society where it is so superficial, so often, like we we get pulled to people who are just themselves, and I think that's why Jordan Peterson is so incredibly popular, like because he's just yeah. himself. I mean, he, how many podcasts does he cry on? Like he starts crying. You know, yeah. every every third podcast because he's so emotionally Poor invested. In, I know, right? But we it endears us to him when yeah. he when because that's him. It's not a show. It's not an act. And I think I think we can all learn from that. I think we're all doing some to some degree of that. And and I think it's the the rise of podcasts like these and people sitting around watching other people authentically express their views and how popular that is. I think the fact that that's so popular right now gives me real hope. Like. If I if I have a white pill, it's because of that, you know. Like, what do you mean? I, I don't know. Just people are so real. The people who are real are popular. I, I think that the fact that human beings in our society are spending hundreds of thousands of hours sitting around listening to 
us and and actual like scholars and philosophers talk and reason through things and reason yeah. through the what we're doing here in in life i think that's amazing i mean yeah. There's millions there of hours of this stuff like on YouTube. Past, no, right? it's, this is so, this yeah. feels so new and unique to me for that reason. And I'm incredibly hopeful because of that. Even though That's I can a be a pessimist point. about this. Even thing. though they're trying to shut, shut it all down. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, but it is a great point. Imagine yeah. what it would be yeah. like if they weren't censoring. Like how amazing right. this time would be. It would be like a little renaissance. It yeah. would. Well, would we be, yeah. would we be diving into the core reasons behind beneath the censoring if they weren't censoring there you, you go. know like i look at this last year and yeah. everything that's happened as like this has given me a meaning i didn't even know yes that i had you know and I'm, is- I'm i feel like i'm spending so much time thinking and learning about all of the thought processes that lead to either some sort of collectivist communist dystopian nightmare or this imperfect thing called you know, capitalism and, and democracy and freedom that that's imperfect, but why it's so important. Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that if COVID hadn't hit and shit hadn't hit the fan and people hadn't become, you know, crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, there is that Carrie, we talked about this yesterday with uh, coach blade and, um, and Barbara. Barbara Kay, Kay. Right? Yeah. But this, this idea of like, there's, um, there's some, I won't say it, there's like a reason to be collapsitarian, but there's sometimes this this appreciation for like, well, when things get bad enough, people notice. And it's and sometimes you just want them to be like, oh, I hope this thing happens, just fully happens the way that it's going to eventually. Because it, if it happens sooner rather than later, we'll get to have the conversation about it sooner rather than later. And, and it, it will faster. be outrageous to people. Yeah. yeah, we can fix it faster. Um, I actually, I think what you're saying, Cecil, is really profound, and it gets back to the beginning of this conversation, which is without adversity, without struggle, it's hard sometimes to gain meaning or or purpose. And so, and so, yeah, if if we weren't living in this dystopian time where censorship and propaganda is so rampant, would I have started paying attention to all these things about like humanity? Would I have started? reading Solzhenitsyn, would I have even found Jordan Peterson? Would I have all, all of these, this chain of events of things I'm interested in now? And would I have found God? Maybe not. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so right. I, uh, you, it's, 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 that's a silver lining kind of thought, you know, but yeah. I yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, Sonny knows that I've, I've, my political and philosophic beliefs have been basically the same for a long time. But I didn't start talking publicly until, frankly, I I had a choice between like stop tweeting because it's getting us in trouble, uh, and stay in Silicon Valley or leave and go speak your mind. And I if I if not confronted with that, I might have just been talking to my friends about this stuff and never started a channel and never done anything else and never done any of this. Like it would just be I'd be off in Silicon Valley building whatever we were building and you know, having the same beliefs, but not really speaking out against them, against anything, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So I sent you a video, Carter. I just wanted to put, we don't have to watch the whole thing. I just want to put up a little snippet. And uh, it's a Well, I assume time. that the copyright owner will not come after us for this particular thing, Carrie. I just want to show people a little <laughs> snippet of the extremism 
that the Little Brother Brewing Company in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, protected protected their patrons from having to endure this extremist content. Uh, roll it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I put myself off screen. That was the opposite of one. In I thought we were going to have a smooth. <laughs> this is as smooth as I get. All right, here we go. We all will spend some days alone These roots they didn't take And snow's been falling for too long But surely this winter break and you hear this song find me my darling girl all will be right with the Beautiful. You have a beautiful voice. That was beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. By beautiful, I, we mean extreme. But extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Banned. Yeah. That was. Uh, no wonder you got banned, dude. Yeah, I know. It was subversive content right there. Yep. I yeah. <laughs> Cecil's music is violence. Let's just make bumper stickers. Oh, that would be great. Let's do that. Okay. Um, let's do some super chats. Can we do some super chats? By the way, beautiful voice, beautiful song. Um, Thank you. I wrote it for you, Carter. And I know. I can tell. <laughs> you and I will we'll talk about that later. We'll be real. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, I got a thing for English, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm going to step away for one minute while you read Super Chats. I'll be right back. FYI. <laughs> okay. Beverly. Uh, all right. 
I, can, I don't even know which is the first super chat. I gotta uh, back up here. I think these are old. I don't have dates on my super chats, <laughs> so I think Pirate Tomsky might be the first one, saying, "Did Cecil just come out as transnational?" And I think the answer is, "Yeah, you did, right?" Yeah, yeah. I'm learning all about it. It's an exciting time. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so that means you can pick your Olympic team, which is great. That's true. I definitely want to be on the ones with the trans men or trans women. <laughs> Those are going to be the ones that win. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pirate Tomsky says, uh, Carter and Sonny sitting in a tree, A-N-A-R-C-H-E. <laughs> I don't think Sonny's an anarchist. I don't, I don't get that. Uh, no, I'm not I an think anarchist. I'm man. I'm ready for the king and queen of America. I want to talk to you about that because I do like Menchus Mobile. No, but I actually, I do want to talk about democracy. With, and I don't mean monarchy in particular, but at some point I want to have a democracy conversation because I'm not convinced. Jordan Peterson um, and Stephen. Are you uh, reading Curtis Yarvin? I have some, but. Yeah. Uh, so interesting. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why I want. He's not Carter. around much anymore. In, in yeah. that Jordan Peterson, uh, Stephen Fry talk, they did bring up this concept of like, what would it be like if th there was the president of the United States, but then there was also like an Uncle Sam figure, like a person who essentially was able to continue the, the vibe of America, like continue this freedom thing, you know, and they weren't being pulled to side to side by politics. They were essentially what the role of a monarch does. And they kind of talked about that a little bit. And they... It was very interesting. They didn't come down on you like, know, yes, it should be or it shouldn't be, but they were like, it would. This is the number one conversation that I'm having with friends these days is political conversation because I think, you know, we're all sort of hunkered down. There's the situation is what it is, but people are really concerned, like looking around and saying, well, obviously our political system didn't work. You know, here we are so quickly falling apart and how corrupt everything is. And what what happened and you know if you look at the constitution and the way it was set up and that you can have the senate was supposed to be appointed by local governments it was not supposed to be a popularity contest hmm. uh, nationally and yep. some other things and i mean you know originally at our founding there were people arguing for a house of lords type of thing um yep. imagine if we had the descendants of the founding fathers as like a board that was that had a voice, what would that be like? You know, I mean, if if it was if they were their intellectual descendants, that would be great. If they were their genetic descendants, I'm I don't know that it would be much descendants because they, they're not political. They can't be voted out. They're they're nobles basically with with a with a vote in the federal government. But the federal government even isn't even supposed to be this powerful. So yeah, so that that's the thing weird. that I think we screwed up. Um, I mean, there's lots of things we screwed up, but but one of them was that we conflated democracy with um, the we, we we pretended that democracy was the unique concept that made America what it was, and democracy wasn't. It was the protection of individual rights. It was the limited government that was the unique concept. It was this idea that I don't give a crap what you vote for. These are the things you can't do, <laughs> right? Like that was what was unique. And instead, we ran around the world when anyone looked at us and said, wow, how do we get to be like you? We all said democracy. Uh, and that's not at all 
how you get to be like America. And and we've even told ourselves and told our children that what made us special was democracy. And it's not. So I don't know. I, I know I know you're not an anarchist, which is why I said that. Um, but when I, I look at it, you know, and I think no matter what's written on a piece of paper, if if our culture is a bunch of collectivists, we will have collectivism, no matter what you write on our founding documents or who has, quote, power. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, right. If it's a society of collectivists, they will rewrite the dictionary, interpret things the way they want, do what they want. You'll get collectivism. And But the flip side is, no matter what you write on paper, even if it's communism, if, if the society is full of individualists and people who respect individual rights, that's what you'll end up with. They will reject any implementation uh, that runs counter to that. And so that's one of the reasons that I, I don't care actually a lot about politics as much as I care about culture and philosophy because yeah. we can survive almost any form of government if we don't suck. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, wasn't it John Adams who said that I, I'm not going to get an exact quote, but he basically said that the morality of the populace is what matters more than the system. And that right. we have set up a system for moral people, not the other way around. Like, And this is right. why you can't go to a country and implement the U.S. Constitution and have it just work. Like, It's right. not magic. They right. haven't even tried that, but if they did, it wouldn't work yet. Didn't uh, we do that in Iraq? I mean, or some, something similar? Um, I think we just we told them democracy was important, so vote for your people. And, like, turns out democracy was, like, because you did that in Libya, too, right? It was like, hey, let's vote. Oh, you ended up with a Muslim Brotherhood. Well, eh. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, JB writes, Carter slash Sonny Comprachicos. I believe that's a reference to the Ayn Rand essay. Ayn Rand's essay? Yeah, which is Comprachicos. Is that how you say it? Compr I, don't I don't know. It is an excellent essay. It's also really disturbing if you've never read it. Um, I'll put a link. It, we'll put it a link refers to, it. to a practice where people would take children and mutilate them to create freaks that they would then sell admission to see. So, yes. like, they might cut. And uh, the man who laughs is a is a Victor Hugo novel where the main character's mouth has been cut into a perma smile um, as so he's a clown. Yep. So it's, it's that kind of it's that. And so she what she did was compare that to what was happening to young people in America. Yeah. Intellectually. It's, and it's an analogy. Yeah. Yeah. It's an education. Yeah. She she uses that as a analogous to the American education system. Yeah. Um, which at the time, I'm sure people thought she was being hyperbolic, but now maybe, <laughs> can you agree that we have done that to our children intellectually? Right. So, um, Johnny Boy Quick Draw says, it's not about complacency nor too easy a life. It's about teaching children they have to be vigilant about such things or that such evil even exists. That kind of goes to what I said about just involvement and citizenship. And I do think that there are, mm. I think you're right that that you get what the major you get what 
the majority of the culture is. But I do think there are a lot of really good people who do value freedom and primarily their attitude is just leave me alone and I'm over here doing my thing. And they're not really involved. They don't really, politics is unpleasant and they don't want to go down to the local meeting. And so they, by default, we've left it to people who are more serious yeah. or more devoted. I agree with you, and I should correct something. I don't think you get what the majority culture is. I think you get what the majority culture is convinced to be, and that actually doesn't take that many people um, to sway on mass culture. Um, they need to be in the right places, and they need to do the right things. But you know, think if we just think about it, how many people actually are in major universities and work for mainstream media and like write movies? Like, not that many people control. Right culture um but they're all leftists so <laughs> that's what we i mean almost all of them are leftists right so that's what we get but if you can imagine a culture where all of those people were individualists uh i think a lot of npcs a lot of normies their programming would be different instead of you know repeating what brian stetler said they might be repeating what i don't know i i think to your point though is is that we have to create that culture because I think you're right that culture is what actually moves people. I mean, in my mind, culture is, is in many ways the same thing as like, where do we find our meaning? Where do we find our internal sustenance? You know? And um, I think that the, I think conservatives in the last 40 years have done a, a terrible job of explaining why freedom works, why this, you know, this imperfect system is the best thing that humanity has so far. I don't think we've done a great job until recently. And I, I honestly, again, I think that's why Jordan Peterson and the like, and all of, all of those people are so popular because they've taken this thing that was seemingly just political, you know, and, and the pettiness of politics is a turnoff, you know, whereas sure. Jordan Peterson talking about the responsibility and the creation of meaning is not a turnoff. However you, if you agree with them or not, like that's an interesting conversation as opposed to, did we get enough votes to elect this Senator? Like that's much less interesting. And so I think that that conservatives have forgotten that there is a really important story to tell about humanity and that they better start telling a story or this other story, this collectivist leftist trash is, will stick around, won't go anywhere. But just look at the battle against this CRT stuff that's been going on and how successful it is compared yeah. to other things. I mean, it's parents showing up and mm -hmm. making statements and parents of all political, you know, stripes making statements. It gets taped. It gets put out on the internet. People share it um, and cheer it. And you have prominent people cool people pushing against CRT. Oh yeah. Um, I would say this last year is different. Like this last year, I think we've seen a cultural shift of people actually standing up and voicing and telling the story of why, why this is also important to your point. I, but I think yeah. maybe in the, in the 30 years prior to that, like the ball was dropped in a big way. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean is like, but so by showing up at their local meetings um, and the people in power are the lefties and the parents are showing up saying, what the heck are you doing? And they haven't yet voted those people out, but there's a war going on. And those people aren't going to be in their positions much longer because the parents are involved. 
before the parents got involved, the kids were being taught stuff, whatever. Nobody really paid any attention. And yeah, so it I was hope, left right. to, <laughs> by default, to a small group of, of radicals, radical leftists. I mean, I think, Cecil, I think you're being too easy on conservatives. I don't remember them <laughs> ever being good defenders of capitalism, ever. Yeah. Uh, they've never had a good... And, and I think one of the successes of the left is to paint conservatives as their enemies. Conservatives have never really been their enemies. They've been the the controlled milk toast opposition who has no intellectual, fundamental, philosophic argument against leftism. Um, if they if they're they're true, the the true uh, enemies of the left are people who have been saying collectivism as such is is bad. It's a bad philosophy. Individualism is important. There's no conservatives don't do that. They kind of say, well, you know, let's be pragmatic and collectivism works in these cases, but not this case or too much is bad. Let's compromise. Um, you know, Michael Malice tweeted uh, the other day about um, Ted Cruz, whom, who I tend to like better than other senators most of the time. Sure. But he said something that really I saw this hit, hit home for me, right? He said, he, the quote was, don't mess with Texas, but if you do, I'll meet you halfway, Ted Cruz. <laughs> it's like, yes, that's conservatism in a nutshell. Um, well, and did you see why he tweeted that? I did didn't, you? but I, I okay, love it anyway. I'll tell you what it was. Ted Cruz posted a meme that said, um, people who've been vaccinated shouldn't have to wear masks on airplanes. <laughs> right. Okay. And then Michael Mouse is like, that is such a halfway right. objection. It, it's not at all yeah. a promotion of freedom yeah. or yeah. people's rights. And yeah, and Michael Mouse, you know, speaking of anarchy, I've been wanting to understand his point of view. I haven't really paid any attention to it, but he's so interesting and so smart. I kind of want to know why this guy's an anarchist. Because to me, well, that we're seems reading like a dumb his. View. We're reading the Anarchy, the Anarchist Handbook compiled by Michael Malice for Book you Club are? this month. Yeah. Ooh, I think I'll you join should, in. Yeah, you should join in. All right, um, I'll join that. So I, I, I do want to well, read it. I, I, one thing about the parents something? fighting back about CRT, since we're bringing this up, um, I think what, what happened that was successful is that we saw a couple of people who were pushing back, Chris Rufo and James Lindsay in particular, who yes. were successful in naming one part of this ideology in a way that stuck because social justice wasn't working, uh, calling it identity politics or calling it identitarianism or identity-based Marxism wasn't working. But to take one part of it, the critical race theory part, and to focus on that and what they call like freezing it and naming it and isolating it and then and then using that as an example of what all the ideology is, is that was very successful. So that gave parents something to go in there with and say, this is what it is. And they didn't look like Gamergate people by saying social justice people, you know, and they look like, like they've been like, we're talking about this, this thing, critical race theory, that is a part of academic. They were using that academic yeah. thinky talk. Right. Yeah. They were using the academic thinky talk as John Leguizamo would say. So that was, <laughs> I think, I think everybody can learn from that. i whether you're conservative or liberal or libertarian or whatever anarchist, um, I think you can learn from what they did, which was to um, successfully name part of it and make them defend it, which we've seen 
what they're choosing to do is to not defend it, to say, well, that's not what it is. That See, that's what they've done all along is when you start calling it, they don't want you to name it anything. When I started criticizing my old ideology and I was called, I did an essay about leaving social justice ideology. I started hearing immediately uh, in that first essay, I used the phrase cultural Marxism to describe it. And I started hearing immediately, oh, that's a right wing buzzword and alt right thing. You can't use that. I'm like, okay, uh, well then what about, I, what about identity based Marxism. It doesn't matter what you call it. They're going to have a problem with it. And then even social justice warrior itself, they said, you can't use that. That's a pejorative. <laughs> like, okay, so what do I get to name it? Like, and that's well, the whole you point. Don't. You, you don't, don't get, get to, to name it because you can't criticize it if you can't name it. Right. So right. I don't, I don't have anywhere to go with that. other than what yeah. they said was effective. I mean, why do you think critical race theory stuck? Why did, why that? Because it's so weirdly abstract, you know. It we made a we made a joke about it being academic thinky talk, but really it is. It's a more academic yeah, phrase is. of something that's being taught. I think they could have also tried, and maybe they did try to call it intersectionality or any of the other names that it takes. But um, critical race theory, I think that that was very smart because think about it. It also sounds like it's almost it's like a. a it's like the atheists who would say you shouldn't be teaching creationism or, or creation theory. You shouldn't be teaching that in schools because that's a part, that's a religious belief. Well, critical race theory is similar. It's a faith-based belief. <laughs> it is. I mean, I don't, I don't think they chose it though in that sense. I think they were just going after the target and, you know, yeah. at, you can use whatever terms you want. If you're, if you analyze it, which James, Lindsay in particular knows the philosophic history of it really well. Like critical race no, theory is the philosophic foundation that this stuff is. Well, no, they said on. they picked they picked it specifically to isolate that and give it a name that would stick. Interesting. But they That's didn't really give it that name. Is my point? No, they didn't give right. it that name. But out of all the they, things it's they, been called to give right. their activism the name, what they were right, to name, my, what they my, were against. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but my point is like. The other things have been tried. Like I, I think it works because it's true, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's very important. It well, is yeah. true. It's the essence of what it is, and it wasn't used. Like intersectionality has been used, social justice has been used. All these other names have been called and used. And if you're right. going to hone in on something, and it's actually very, it's very accurate. Um, so I think it's kind of a natural selection of like, okay, well. If we're going to hone in on this, we're going to use the we're going to use the actual academic term. You can't argue with what critical race theory is. It's defined academically, so you can link it to a bunch of papers. People aren't really. It's not hasn't been diluted yet. Uh, it will, I'm sure. But so it, it makes it makes sense. I don't think it's like an arbitrary choice. And I think the I timing also. Oh, I was just okay. going to say that the timing added a lot in terms of the efficacy of the efforts by Chris Rufo and James Lindsay and everybody. Yeah. I mean, because I think, you know, like we went through a summer of riots that were all race-based that were very in conflict with what we were being told about COVID, you know, so we're sitting here seeing yeah. major hypocrisy in terms of what we're being told we must do or what is the right thing to do for a country to do. Um, and then, and then all this stuff is coming out about, about what it means to be white or all these white, you know, like the Smithsonian releasing its little yes. table of all the, all the whiteness things so about being timely as being white and being, a, you know, detail oriented as being white. And you're just like, this is ridiculous. This is 
psychotic. And I think math people, proofs. Right. And then, exactly. Yes. And then, and then parents would go and they would see the same stuff in their schools and the kids would be coming home with the same stuff. And all of a sudden they're putting it together with like, this is the same thing that's happening in the country right now. And I think, I think all of that coalesced to this boiling point. One good. thing that I think that they did really well, which also reminds me of what Andy No does with Antifa, and talk about that that tactic of isolating it. Um, they just report kind of the facts, you know, endlessly. You hear, okay, in Missouri, in this school district, here's what, and in Coca Cola, here's what you're seeing there, and they just like these endless laundry list of no, you can't say it's not everywhere. It's everywhere, and it's nasty. And they're just example after example from whistleblower after whistleblower of companies and school districts and just showing it the way Andy knows shows mug shots and shows films of Antifa beating people up. And it's just one data point after another that just proves it's all it's out there. It's anti-white. It's nasty. Here's just constant evidence. As much as I hate Twitter, I am here because of Twitter. Because last year, when all the riots started happening, and I had just joined Twitter because, I mean, I'd, been, I'd had an account for 10 years or whatever, but never really used it. But I wanted to go um, see what Brett Weinstein and Heather were talking about. And because and, they would reference that in their Dark Horse podcast, like, hey, we have, you can submit a question via Twitter. And I'm like, okay, let me actually go get involved. So I get on Twitter, the riots break out, and all of a sudden I see how the media media presents everything versus daily video of what's actually happening and to your point sonny it's like you see over and over real life things happening on the ground and then you see the spin and you're just like wow this is so much worse than i thought i mean that was my kind of realization this is so much more perverted than i thought and and so i need to like dive in and understand this better and that's why i'm here for those same reasons people just continually putting real truth like this is happening and then, and then seeing how our overlords spin it. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking that's been our... nice too to watch people's like people waking up to the spin of because you've got Twitter and you've got this stream of actual like firsthand accounts, primary source material, and then you turn on the evening news or whatever people are watching now, and, and yeah. it's like, what the hell are you saying? Like, it has no correlation. It's an anti-correlated to what's happening, yeah. basically. Right. Like some oh, artists actually, some artists really just got got a gig canceled because of his Twitter posts. Like people are seeing that. Like that, you know, that's But stuff. then you turn on the news, it says cancel culture is a right-wing it's myth. Real. It's a myth, it's yeah. It's not real. Right. Um, I, I speaking yeah, of our overlords, the if yeah. you go I sent you guys an article, Carter, you and Beverly, and this is just something that happened this week. We I, we would be remiss if we didn't mention it. Uh Biden's press secretary gave uh, uh, basically said that the Biden administration is advising Facebook and flagging posts for Facebook on disinformation, misinformation. Mm-hmm. So the government is now working with Facebook. To well, did you see? Decide- yeah, it's actually the Health and Human Services. It's the Surgeon General um, Beverly. Link number two that I sent you earlier has the PDF from the Surgeon General. There's a there's a guidelines from the Surgeon General about misinformation. Um, and it's pretty, I'm, 
I'm kind of tired of saying this is just like China because, like, I don't. I, it's not in Mandarin, so that's different. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, so if like page two, if you look at page two, this is the the intro from um, the Vice Admiral, U.S. Public Health Service, Surgeon General of the United States. Health misinformation is a serious threat to public health. That's the that's the that thing. That is the creepiest if, language ever. Right, and if you go down to page twelve, Beverly. Um, I know Beverly's doing this here. Um, there's what there's or there's different. There's actually different sections. There's a section about what journalists and media organizations can do, what researchers can do, um, and maybe it's page eleven. What technology? Yeah, you got it. What technology platforms can do? There's a list of things that the government is saying. Hey, technology platforms. Here's what you should do. Um, and it's all, look, assess the benefits and harm of products and platforms and take responsibility for addressing their harms. Uh, give researchers access to data to properly analyze the spread and impact of misinformation. Strengthen your monitoring system. Prioritize early detection of misinformation super spreaders and repeat offenders. Evaluate the effectiveness of internal policies and practices in addressing misinformation and be transparent with findings. Proactively address information deficits. Amplify communication from trusted messengers and subject matter experts. Prioritize protecting health professionals, journalists, and others from online harassment. I mean, all this stuff is I just let's let's name the hidden premise here. The hidden premise is our information from the government is the correct information. Everything else is misinformation. Do these things to stop misinformation. You are a propaganda arm. This is how you can be a propaganda arm of the US government. And of course, in a mixed economy where uh, these technology companies are subject to large amounts of regulation and their relationship with government is extremely important. Um, in fact, some of them make money from government contracts. Uh, they, they are more than happy to be the lapdog for authoritarian government. The only difference, the only difference is China can officially tell the companies to do that. And the US has to say, this is what you could do. But it's kind of like a mob boss, like, well, Carrie, if right. you if you really want to help me out, and if you don't help me out, who knows what will happen to your dry cleaners. But if you really want to help me out, this is how you could help the mob boss out, Carrie. But I'm just it's just a request. I'm just a suggestion. <laughs> it's it's been going on. I, I don't really feel yeah. like this is news. I mean, I I feel like they're getting more overt, maybe. But if they are if getting you guys more saw overt. the yeah. um, the Fauci emails, one of them was from Zuckerberg saying to Fauci, "Let me know what you want me to say." Yeah. You know, right. like I'm wait, I'm standing by to hear what the official narrative is that we're going to promote on Facebook. I mean, Can you imagine? Words, but he basically I mean, said that. I'm just, I, I just, you know, the Trump <laughs> telling Twitter, Jack Dorsey, like what to say, or, yeah. you know, this just, it right. never, and we're supposed to be afraid right. of Trump's authoritarianism. Yes. And they I'm were not, not working together. Authoritarianism. It was the exact opposite. In fact, in fact, the social media companies yeah. cut him off at the knees mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be, like you said, we're supposed to be afraid of him. There's a, yeah. Even I, if he wanted a, to be in charge, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that cultural yeah. power. 
So I don't even care what his psychology or his tendencies are or whatever. I'm supposed to care about that. I don't care. The, The whole juggernaut of the media and the tech companies are against him and and not to mention the dnc and the political machine so and the, Half the rnc yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like i'm supposed to be afraid of this guy so here's Please. here's a, an idea that i had and somebody can steal it and write write the book because i don't know if i'm a novelist or not but this concept of like what if us here and the people who think like us here actually made up 90 percent of america but we didn't know that because we were being told that it was really a 50-50 split and that all of these people disagree with us or they're actually you know, motivated by leftist thinking or whatever. Like, I, this is just a, an idea for a story, but you kind of wonder, you're like, you know, I don't know about the election. I don't know if I can say that, but I don't know how much I believe that. You know, I don't believe these things that they're talking about when it comes to, um, you know, specific COVID things they are being very authoritarian on those types of things, working with social media. Like, could it be that we all actually agree that this is bullshit and that there's like this little 5% population at the top that is really running all of this and convinced us that, hey, it's okay. You know, half of the people actually did vote for it. So you'll get them next time, you know, but but they know that in truth. Anyway, no, I'm just thinking, I think you're wrong though. I mean, it's a great idea for a book, but I think you're wrong in the past year. I saw this great list that Zuby put out of things that the pandemic year taught him. Mm -hmm. And I agreed with almost all of those things. And and, uh, I can't, I can't recite them by memory, but one of the things that I learned and I think was in his list is this idea that most of the population will go along with whatever culture is doing. And, whatever is considered socially acceptable and the, the, they're afraid of losing social status. And, and that's how all these horrible things have happened throughout history that we look back on with such arrogance, like, Oh, why would everyone go along with that? Why would they go along with, um, you know, putting people in concentration camps or in, in prison camps or how could they let that happen? You would do that too most likely. And and I think this Jordan Peterson has talked about this, you know, mm-hmm. Cecil, I know you're a big fan of his, but he's talked about statistically most people go along. And I just, I, after reading the Ash conformity experiments, after seeing the way that people buckled on mass when it came to lockdowns and face masks, I just think that the majority of people, they may not agree with this ideology. They may secretly oppose it, but they're going to go, most people will go along with it. And that's kind of a depressing thought to have, but I think, you know, if we could have 35% of people, which may be high, you know, according to Ash conformity experiments, I think it might be 35% of people will not bend, probably a little high, but that's hopeful. And then you've, and then those 35 people have to steer culture in a way such that the rest of the people will follow them because the rest of the people are followers. Oh, 25, even less. Okay. So 25%. 25% of the population are not going to conform. And then it's up to them to steer culture so that the other 75 or a large portion of the other 75% follow along because the rest are followers. They want to follow somebody. They're going to follow Fauci and CNN or their, you know, their Karen neighbor, or they're going to follow you. If you do a better job of presenting your opinions and the way you think we should behave in the world and, and the way you think culture should be going. And so, um, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now, but I, I, anyway, I, as you were talking, I was trying to consider your idea for a book, but at the same time, I was like 90%. No, it's too high. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, it plays it plays to what uh, yeah. Brett Weinstein said about um, about witch hunts, and I thought he said this what maybe a year ago. There was some cool post that he did about witch hunts, and that they need like just a very small percentage of the actual witch hunters, the the fanatical people who yes. are believing that that person yes. over there is a witch. They they don't need a lot. They just need to be very vocal. And then the rest of the people who will go along with that simply because they don't want to not fit in or they don't want to be ostracized. And so they'll, they'll, or they'll just like maybe separate themselves and let it happen or they'll pick up a, a spear and like go hunt the witch alongside the real witch hunters. You know, it's humans are fallible. We're, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing that we all need to learn from this is like how, how much we can be influenced by each other and to, to the point of culture, like we need to, I, Nicole Arbor had this great thing when she was talking to Jordan Peterson. She was like, is it true, Jordan? And I think it is that that he was um, approached by Omega Watches to be like a spokesperson for Omega Watches and that, you know, he might have been a person on the side of a building. You know, his big, his Jordan Peterson face on the side of a building with like an Omega, Omega watch on. And she's like, you should do that. I, if, I think he, maybe he turned it down and she was like, why did you turn that down? Like, you you gonna, should do yeah. that. We need our yeah. cultural icons, these thinkers. Like, yeah. what if we just said, we love these people who are, thinking deeply and showing us the best way to conceptualize of this, these tough topics. And we're going to make them our heroes and sports are great. I love sports, but like, what if we had Jordan Peterson on the side of a building? Like that would be pretty damn cool. Yeah. Or, whom, or whomever, cool. somebody like, and, it, you know, but it's also why I think each one of us that does speak out, I mean, regardless of the harm it does to us, like you're get, getting canceled and stuff, you're so courageous to say, screw it, I'm going to continue to be honest and speak out. Because even those of us who aren't Jordan Peterson, just regular people on Twitter being like, no, that's BS, sharing, you know, retweeting stuff, liking stuff, being fans of people who are bigger voices. Um yeah you know, it's so important and it will move the needle. And, and the people who are sitting around, not, I hate to like be down on people, but like the times are where you got to step up now because mm -hmm. we're going to lose our free society. If more people don't jump on this bandwagon. I think people don't okay. see that you like fight with words now or guns later. Um, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around that because it seems some of the stuff that you're that that we might be saying seems so hyperbolic, like, oh, we're, you know, we're America, where they're never going to shove us on boxcars. It's like, well, I mean, let's hope not. But it, it's it. There's no reason it can't happen here, just like it happens in and has happened in historically lots of other places. I mean, the whole reason that Milgram did the Milgram experiments was he wanted to show that Germans were different and they were more compliant. So he started with Americans. And he was like, oh, we'll show how non-compliant the Americans are. And he never got to the Germans because he was horrified at how compliant Americans were. <laughs> they, it's like, well, oops, like that, that's really bad. Um, and I think, was it, um, it was Lenin or someone horrible like that, that there's a kind of famous quote where he says something like, there are now seven people in the world who fully understand our ideology, victory is inevitable. Um, like you don't, you don't need that many people, right? Like you don't need That's that great. much. You can totally yes. control a society if you've got people yeah. who are willing to stand up and speak, um, yeah. 
and fight. Yeah. So it doesn't take many. It doesn't take many Jordan Peterson. And it to does seem to be growing. Aren't aren't you guys feeling that? Yeah, I, I feel like it's growing. growing. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It's like we it, things have to change. It's sort of that thing about you know cycles, like we talked about everything. It has to change. It can't stay this way forever. The younger generation is going to react against all of this. It's a fundamentalism. It's kind of a religious puritanism that happened. You know this this brewery that canceled UC. So it's like. They're like religious fundamentalists. Right. And that's yeah. not cool. Right. It's like, dude, I don't want to go to the, I don't want my brewery deciding if I can listen to your music or not based on whether you share the politics of the brewery or the brewer. It's like, Screw that. It's like being canceled <laughs> by the West. It's like being canceled by the Westboro Baptist Church. It's like, Yes. All right. You guys like, are crazy. So, like, stay <laughs> yeah. out of Paula, stay out of my business, brew factory. It's no different than if they were like, you know what? Uh, we like uh, we love focus on the family and James Dobson, like in the '90s, those religious fundamentalists mm -hmm. on the right, you know. And Cecil, it's exactly uh, the same. Cecil, we noticed that you um, you had sex out of marriage once. You talked about a sexual relationship online, so uh, I'm not going to book you at our brewery. F right. you, get bent. That's not cool. Kids don't want to be a part of that. Like kids right. don't want they 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 are going to rebel against this because it is religious fundamentalism. I think you're right. And I, I've, I've just started calling them boring, like to their faces, you know, yes. like, your leftism is boring. And I mean, when you really think about it, it's because it's this very regulated system of boxes of what you're allowed to think and what you're not allowed to think. And that if you're going to do a piece of art, it better have all the right little dogmatic criteria that, you know, that go along with this being this ally or that ally or whatever. And it's like, that is so not art. So not interesting to human beings, not, not interesting to kids, what you're talking about. Like kids resonate with people who are themselves and who are bucking the Confident system because, you know, in, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed that the, the spokesmen on the left, like the cultural spokesmen, I should say on the left are, it seems more and more mentally ill and kind of <laughs> creepy and yes. Yes. unstable and, it, yeah. it's really getting weird out there. Well, look yeah. at Madonna, who we mentioned earlier. Yes, I mean, Madonna but, and people can you like put that. Up that. Can you put up that picture? I mean, she's like like all these celebrities who just mindlessly speak this stuff, and there's something off with them. And like, why are you? Why are we culturally? I think that there's there's been a shift in that too. Is that people are not listening to celebrities in the way they used to, which is good. And not that not that you should be able to express, crazy. You should be able to express. Any opinion that you have, like, obviously, whether you're a musician or I don't like this whole thing where people say, you know, shut up and sing. I was like, they can have, you can have an opinion. But sure. the, but what I don't like is when you give extra weight to that because it's a celebrity. It's like, I pretty much give the same weight to your opinion, Madonna, as I do to my, uh, my plumber. Actually, I give a little bit more weight to my plumber's opinion because I know a little more about him. So like I'm not like with but in society we're sort of like a celebrity thinks this like shut up like uh, Beverly says which picture I thought I sent it hold on but what is her name like Chrissy Teigen now she's canceled and she's they there was a picture of her in the paper yesterday about how sad she's is and I saw the picture and she's like. And then she's talked about depression. Everyone talks about a depression and anxiety. Like they're all just riddled with these yes. mental disorders. And they, there's this uh, great follow on Twitter called Libs of TikTok. I love that Twitter. Oh my yes. God. Yes. <laughs> they're like these creepy, unstable people. 
very, very arrogantly sure that what they're saying is right. And they're just like oozing. You're not doing it right, honey. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is okay. So there's the picture. Yes. Who is, she's, is that Madonna? She's 60. Is that right? Madonna? Yeah. She's Ew. 60 something. 60. She's <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to see. You just ruined my childhood. I'm sorry. And I mean, our whole Instagram is like that. It's sort of uh, trying to look, there's this whole obsession, obviously, with youth in our culture, trying to look younger than she is and showing us her crotch. And there's a lot of pictures like this with her 20 something year old boyfriend. And it just, uh, she's 62. And it, it just, it just, there's something really sad about that. It's like, just grow into, I think part of it is that we don't respect age here. We don't, right. we don't think that there's anything to any wisdom that older people have to impart, which is also part of the, we don't learn from history. Well, she's like, not convincing me otherwise with this. Well, well, I think that she was maybe because she's a product of a society that doesn't value aging. I mean, like when I was in Tanzania and East Africa, there was this real reverence for older people and, and the, the culture was different and the way that you talk to older people was different. You had different uh, greetings and different, like handshake and it was just like you you stood up you know there, there was a different order to things when you're eating and um just to show this respect right and we've lost a lot of that here what value does someone like madonna think she has other than trying to look like a granny that you would want to f uh, let's sit maybe about she it. doesn't actually have any other value I mean, let's, let's consider that for a moment yeah <laughs> I don't know, man. She could have. She could have. Yeah, she but could, I mean, yeah. but she didn't. So you know who I think is aged very gracefully, and these are leftists. So, but I don't care. I think they have. I think Susan Sarandon is aged very gracefully. Yes, we earlier. Um, Someone said Helen gotten, Mirren as well. Helen Mirren, yes. Betty White. Yeah. Uh, th these are women who haven't been like, okay, I'm going to just continue to get surgery. I mean. Again, I'm not some purist. I don't think I'm not like criticizing anyone who's ever gotten any plastic surgery. I just I just think there's a certain point at which you have to just let it go. You are going to age. That's human life. You're going to die too. Ah, <gasps> shocker. Like that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Let, let's do some more super chats since we still oh, yeah. have some to, to plow through. Um, I have one I want to read. Can I read this one? JB, go ahead. 10 bucks. Uh, from Texas, he says, hi, from Texas. I work at HEB. Yay, I love HEB. Unconscious bias has shown up as e-learning, but hasn't been pushed yet. Is there a line in the sand? The mask off was a joke, but that had no paper trial. This will sigh. Uh, Jay. Well, I believe all, unconscious bias is a line because that is white racism. Because that is. is yeah. You are determined, your ideas are determined by your skin color. Your morality is determined by your skin color. And whether you think it or not, you're racist. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And yeah. that is where, that's the worst part of it. And that's yeah. the worst part of what they're saying is the it is unconscious race. bias part. It is racism, yeah. It's just plain, plain old racism. It's, it's, it's the, what I would say is go to counterweight. This is what I'm going to tell everyone from now on. I talked to, um, well, I messaged with Helen Pluckrose there. It's her organization. They are specifically geared for helping people in the workplace with crap like this, Jay. So if you, 
if you, for whatever reason, if you don't get an answer there, if you don't get what you're looking for, let us know. But otherwise I've been directing everyone to counterweight. If you have this crap creeping into your workplace, that's why they set it up is to help you. How scary. And I don't even know what to advise people on that because you know, you don't want to lose your job, but at the same time, if we don't start standing up, I don't know. It's it. We're in a dangerous situation. Yeah, I think that white people, people need to... are in a dangerous situation. My daughter is in the first generation of white minority, and yep. I shouldn't have to care about that, <laughs> but I'm worried about it because I I know that at school she's could potentially be taught being taught that she's um, second class because she's white. Yeah. I, th I think what needs to happen, Sonny, is people need to understand that sometimes in life you're offered two bad choices. Yeah. And if you can't recognize, like, yeah, you could lose your job. That's one bad choice. The other bad choice is society gets worse, <laughs> way worse. And, like, we all you've got to make where a this anti white stuff leads. And it's yeah, so overt and it's so yeah. awful and we're not allowed to complain about it. And if we do, we're racist. It's like they've got us coming and going and it is it leads to genocide. I mean, it just does. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's there's something that I keep telling people like Biden's line is that white supremacy terrorism is the biggest threat to the United States, you know, that we face or that that the one six riot was the largest threat to the American democracy that we've faced since the civil war. And it's this very overt, like these people, the, this group of people, not, not our little group, our group of elites on the left, but everybody else are, are the major threat because of their ideology. And I keep asking people like, who, who is the big champion who's out there like pro white, who's like making all of this pro white pop propaganda. Like I don't see anybody doing that. You see right. people making all sorts of very outspoken propaganda against white people. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's everywhere. And yet you, I don't really see much. I mean, yes, there are crazy right-wing people, but they don't lead our national discourse. They're not in the people who we follow and yeah. talk to on Twitter. They're not, you know, if, if people were saying terrible things about non-white people, they'd be in the news all the time. Because they don't they're, get they're searching for fodder like that all of the yeah. time because that that sells their story. But it, it not that it doesn't exist, but it doesn't. It's not influencing our culture in a major way. So it's it, to your point, Sonny. It's like they're they're doing exactly what they're accusing everybody else of doing, and it's scary. It's scary how outspoken they are about their hatred they're of whiteness. Over. Like, yeah, like how can you yeah. live with yourself to sit there and chastise somebody's color? I, I don't and they admit yeah. I mean I've heard people admit that it's revenge you know right and and then I think the white people involved in it are just I don't know man it's just like this they're self-hating they, they're self-hating and they it gives them this these moral points they feel you know um mm -hmm. it's like the moral points of being trans or whatever right. they're white people trying to get moral points in society so uh, I just want to read the super chat from Thomas who said implicit bias is a line because my behavior and work habits are all that matter at work inside. My brain is none yet effing business. 
which yep. is true. This right is the on. whole thought crime thing, thought racism that we don't even know. We're just going to guess your thoughts. You're implicitly racist. Guess what? Because of your skin color, that's racist. And to your point, uh, Cecil, no, they're not. The, the white supremacists is that kind of racism is just as evil as critical race theory racism. Totally. They're both yes. equally evil, but they're not being propped up and heralded uh, by mainstream society. They're not getting $10 million from Twitter, like Ibram X. Kendi got to push right. racism. And right. we are lauding racism if it's, if it's presented in this way. And it should all be equally abhorrent to us, but it's not. It's like, it's like the, I've said this before, it's like the devil found a new way to sell something that's very old to us. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, look, uh, the society's progressed. They're, they're moving off of racism. How can I sell racism back to them? I'm going to sell it to them as anti-racism. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said this before, and in, I, there's another danger here, which is that young white kids are presented with two alternatives, both racist. Either hate yourself for being white or think you're superior for being white. That's right. And, frank and frankly, the better of them will choose the latter, which is sad. That's it's the right. wrong choice because there's a third alternative. But if right. they don't recognize that and they have any self-esteem and they want to preserve themselves, that's what they'll choose. And they're going to create the boogeyman that they claim exists yes. and has power. Which they would 100%. love to do. They want I, the I almost feel like that's what they're doing so that they yeah. can crack down on people. It's almost like that's that is the goal is to get the white lash, you know, <laughs> that, that's coming. Yeah. Um, I they hope white people that. don't fall for it. We need to we need to band together with rational black people. And I, I mean, this is why it's so important when people of color actually speak out against us, because it 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 helps prevent that because we can get together and and defeat it as human beings. Well, one thing I've been so happy about is that so much of what we're trying to fight, which is this collectivist thinking, like the the way in which we describe why it's wrong doesn't just win allies for us from the conservative side. It you know, it wins it wins people who it resonates with all sorts of people, liberals and conservatives alike, because at our core, I think other than really going fully collectivist and believing it, if people actually do believe it, I don't know if they really do, but I think the rest of the people are like, yeah, this, this is wrong. You know, this, this doesn't work. This leads to major amounts of cynicism and it leads to an us versus them in every aspect of our life. And I, and I, I've been excited. I mean, to your point, yes, there are black people who are vocally against critical race theory and that's wonderful. And I think like, like the Weinsteins, for example, as you know, classical liberals being against these things too. I, I want to remind people, and I see this happening on Twitter. Um, you definitely get people who are very like pro maybe conservative, but religious conservative. And, and you saw kind of a movement gab, I think was like doing a lot with being very traditional, like religious conservative and presenting themselves as a platform for, for that. But I think in, in order for us to really wrap our minds around what's wrong with collectivism, it's not necessarily a specific religious solution. I think it's some sort of larger solution that includes various faiths, various ways of approaching life and i and but it's exciting because it means that there are a lot of people who are primed and ready to see why this this path that that 
the leftist have us on is is wrong and it's not going to work. And I, Carter, to your other point, I just wanted to say, like, I think what's so hard about this is the same reason why it's hard to prove why the Second Amendment works. I mean, the Second Amendment is there as a safeguard against a tyrannical government. You know, everybody's reaction to that is like, well, what's your pistol going to do against an F-15? It's like, well, you know, small arms actually work in a lot of things. They worked in Vietnam. They worked in Afghanistan. Like, it makes it much harder. January 6th was the biggest <laughs> threat ever. It was a big insurrection. There wasn't even any, no one brought <laughs> any guns. Right. They no no weapons any. at all. Right. But, but <laughs> this whole idea is like, it's it's tough to prove a negative. I guess that's all I wanted to say. It's, it's tough to prove a negative. You have to make a very ideological point that like, the weapon is the thing that might in the end deter a government from becoming tyrannical. And in the same way, like our, uh, our adherence to rationalism and reason is what keeps us from the crazy genocidal leanings that human beings apparently have. Like we, we can do this. And, you know, and it's, and so Carter, you were saying, well, like people are like, no, we're not, we're America. We're not going to genocide people. We're not going to put people on trains to go to gulags. And it's like, well, it's happened before many, many times in many different countries, many different cultures. So, you know, I can't prove to you that us having this conversation right now is part of the solution or that this different way of looking at life is part of the solution. But I can tell you there is, there are real threats that have happened. There are real risks that humanity keeps doing over and over. We keep proving how bad we can be. And, and I wish people were more aware of that. Yeah. And it, it coming full circle to the whole thing when you're, when you're too comfortable, I do think people aren't tapped into what war would be like or what a genocide would look like. Like they really right. aren't tapped into what that kind of societal, even just lawlessness and mm -hmm. what that means uh, your, for your day to day, you know, not being safe the way we are. Uh, most Americans are so safe. If you see what's going on in South Africa right now, where there's just, it's like a Black Lives Matter riot everywhere um, because the the law has broken down and there's looting going on. It's just constant. And citizens yeah. are banding together to protect their local shopping mall mm -hmm. yeah, so that they have a place to buy groceries and um, and they've been disarmed. So a lot. So there's not that many people that have guns. So the Babylon also, Bee... Uh, joke about that, that Americans went out the next day and bought F-18s was so funny. <laughs> Did you guys see that? No. Yeah, I missed that one. I think that, Although if that you can tell me where I can pick up an F-18, let me know. I think that argument for saying that guns are not going to be useful to for the vice, for the president, I almost call him the vice president, for the president to say you can't defend yourself against your own government with guns anyway because we, we have F-18s or F-16s, what is it? For him to say that itself is reason yes. why we need to be able to arm ourselves. The fact yeah. that you just threatened us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he said that you would drop bombs. You would drop. He, he said nuclear bombs. Nuclear bombs. Yeah. Okay. So you just threatened your own people and said, we would nuke you. So I yeah. think I would like to keep my little handgun, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the sad thing is the second amendment is only as, as, uh, relevant as it's only relevant if people use it like it's nice that you can have one but my my the big question i have is when they come knocking asking you to turn your weapon in what will you do because that yeah. will happen 
they're after they're done with their vaccine knock door to door thing eventually they will come maybe not next year maybe not two years from now maybe not 10 years but they'll come and they'll mm-hmm. ask you to turn your weapons in and i my big concern is that a lot of people will just say okay they will and then, I mean, and then, look, what does it matter? They're wearing masks. They're doing like the they lockdown. They, lockdown. A lot, most people will just turn their stuff in. No way. Right. So. And so, what what good is the First Amendment if you don't use it? And then, and what good is the Second Amendment if you don't use it? It's just, it's not. It doesn't matter. Um, not that's my black pill, but. So we have to wrap up pretty soon. So I want to get through some super chats really quickly. Yeah, we have a bunch. Then, what we've we've we're behind on so. Uh, and then we have to, uh, I can't read any of them, Carter, so you're going to have to do them. My right, I'll, I'll start back at the beginning where okay. where we were. Alabama Toolbox, this is probably from a while ago, sorry, says spending their entire youth staring down at mobile phones is definitely a part of the equation also. That was probably definitely. back when we were. Definitely. Yeah. Completely yeah. agree um, with that. Yeah, and I think it's also, um, we're seeing a lot of ADHD, which I think a lot of times is misdiagnosed, but uh, also I think is a symptom of, short attention span media culture, right? So yeah, um, read, read the book iGen for more on that. I'm, I'm actually halfway through that book right now. It's it's oh, got okay. all the stats and stuff on that. It's really good. iGen? Okay. And terrifying. Yeah. Um, Pirate Tomsky says, I think Koof was the best red pill moment. I got friends asking me questions who would never have opened their minds at all without it woken them up. Yeah, lockdowns definitely, yeah. definitely helped. Because it's such a visceral, visual thing to see people running around. But in, in L.A. now, L.A. is bringing back the mask mandate indoors, even if you're vaccinated. Yeah. I don't so, get it. Uh, Lutra23 says, just want to say thank you for what you do and much love. Thank you, Lutra. Pirate Tomsky again says, we need to start calling it critical race hypothesis. None of it is based on anything <laughs> supported by data. It's all assumption. I think even hypothesis is too high of a standard. Pirate Tomsky, I, it's like critical race, racism, uh, garbage. Yeah, it's critical, critical race, race opinion. Hate. Myth. Yeah, mythology. I don't know what it is. It's a mythology. Mythology. There's the word. Critical race mythology. mythology. Critical race Thank religion. You. I like that. Uh, another one from Alabama Toolbox says, Carter, I lived in China for over 16 years. You're right. It's just like China. I know. My wife's Chinese and uh, grew up in China and. It's a real thing, and China has started to get worse. So they've started to crack down a little bit more, but they're just—it's like, honestly, I'm—I I look at China. It's a preview. You can see what they're doing the, the social credit stuff, and then a few years later, we start to do more. It's just—they're just even slightly their ahead. cultural revolution kind of like we're literally following their their early playbook too. Yeah, we we just did an interview with uh, a woman named Lily Tang Williams, which I don't think we've released yet, have we, Carrie? I don't think so. Um, but she grew up, she was Red Guard in China during the Cultural Revolution, and she's here now wow. fighting for freedom. And um, yeah. You it's, can guess what crazy. white leftists think about um, wanting to hear her lived experience. <laughs> yes. <Right. laughs> they uh, Jared Barkley. No, sorry, go ahead. Want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Jarrett Barkley says the extreme left tells you the problem like racism, etc., and they don't give you any real solutions. It's pretty pathetic. They have no real solutions. I think that's in, uh, I I think that's part of the I think that's intentional because the left isn't. I, we've I've talked about this before. I know. In fact, I even have a video on the channel about uh, wokeism in Silicon Valley where I talk about this. The unifying factor for all these 
radical leftist ideologies is not that they're all for the same thing. They're all just against the same thing. They're all against Western civilization and individualism. So mm -hmm. that what unifies them is what they want to tear down, which is why you don't see them. If they started talking about what they want to build, they would fracture and balkanize and they wouldn't have the, the, um, the critical mass that they have. This is why they've supreme. never, ever criticized Islam and the even like the really glaringly obvious like misogyny and the, yeah. right. you know, the, they don't even discuss it. It's totally right. fine. Right. Because they both want They're the allies. destruction of the same thing. Yep. Right. Yep. Well, it's weird. For I mean, now, anyway. I'll just right. I'll put that in there. It's weird to have learned a little bit about Hegel and understand that he like believes that he, he form, formulated this philosophy, but it's essentially utopian, but it has to do with like, anytime you see something wrong with the current system, you tear it down. And, and the article of faith for him was that something better will arise from the ashes of that. And that you just keep doing that over and over. And finally it's, it's God emerging like from itself into this utopian version of the world. And it's just like, that's, I mean, to your point, why don't they ever talk about what they want to build? Because none of that story that I just told has anything to do with building. It's it's a faith that by tearing something down, something else will emerge. And it's like, well, that's that's definitely yeah. an article of faith. I don't know that I believe that at all. <laughs> Hegel's something, someone I wish they would talk about more explicitly yeah. because uh, he's used as this like people say Hegel, they don't, they've never read anything about Hegel. And he sounds like, oh, he's, he's a philosopher that we learn in school. So he must be smart and have said some good things. Right. But what he talked about was, I mean, some of it's just utter lunacy. I mean, to your point, when he's talking about tearing down and what will emerge, his final belief is that the state will emerge as the manifestation of the will of the universe. Like he right. believes that there's divine, like significance to the state. It's, it's right. like, it's an insane, crazy, homeless person idea, but he scribbled it down and a bunch of PhD students loved it. And now it's like, and Marx based a freaking economic system on the right. principles. And we're all taking it in. Like it's this, like that there's something erudite about it, that there's something learned about Hegel. It's retarded. It's retarded. <laughs> it's, it, it, and it's just yeah. mind blowing to me. And it's what I said earlier is like, people don't understand like collapse is not fun. Collapse is death for most people. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably yeah, there's, includes... there's real people that die when a society collapse, real people die, yeah. blood happens. Starvation. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's probably going to be you. You're probably not going to be the small percentage <laughs> that makes it right. Right, because it's kind of luck at that point, and and even objectivists fall into this thing with this Gulch Gulch stuff and libertarians, where right. it's almost like they're also for the destruction of society. Because, and, and this is where they they disagree with conservatives, and conservatives are just trying to be like, let's just like keep it going, you know, <laughs> let's just keep this Western thing going. Um, and. They want Galt's Gulch. Galt's Gulch is not pretty. Galt's Gulch is most people are dead. And probably you. Yeah. yeah. And and if you're on the left, I just want to say this as well, because this has historically been true. If you're one of the radicals on the left driving the revolution, guess who the dictator shoots first when they take over? That's right. It's not us. There, there's some satisfaction in that. Just a <laughs> there little, is a little like, bit of satisfaction. A little bit of but, satisfaction <laughs> that we'll get to watch those creepy, arrogant, 
the libs of TikTok are going to be the first ones to go. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's and that's that's what's happened historically when Stalin took over, took over, right? What he do? He shot all the he shot all, all of the or sorry, Lenin, both of them. Shot all of their all the people that uh that were the revolutionaries that got them there, right? Um Mao, Mao's a better example. Like literally everyone who potentially threatened his power, most of whom, almost all of whom were fellow revolutionaries gone, yeah. right? I don't want to see that even really. I mean, I was joking of... earlier, by the way. I, <laughs> I don't want to see Car- that. Carrie's eyes got wide. She needed to clarify. <laughs> I know. Carrie, yeah. I'm joking. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of these really fast. I can see a few of them online now. So Joy okay, Perver, thank you, $5. TPS, thank you, $2. This category series of privatization privatization the nothing um the privation yeah. privation nothing oh i think you're talking about that movie the never ending story christ thank you two dollars says for lib islam is right about women joy <laughs> gives us another five dollars and says love y'all and there's a little fox from crazy cat guy thank you and tps says they changed it to cultural responsiveness training and lewis thank you says why does anyone, Lewis gives us 10 bucks and says, why does anyone opposed to this progressive nonsense use the term people of color? It appeared overnight about eight years ago and only serves to divide the world into white and non-white. That's a good question. That's a good point, Lewis. And I've, I've found myself falling into that just because it's used a I, lot. But it's, I, I think that was yeah. the one who said it. And I, I kind of consciously have been saying it. I don't know. What else am I supposed to say? Yeah, it's Colored like people. you, you it's could totally say non-white. Different. I mean, like non-white. That's awkward. People of color is awkward. It's all um, things awkward. Brown. I say brown and black awkward. a lot. I say brown and black a lot, but that discriminates against Asians. Yeah, and <laughs> you I can't say, win. Whatever you say is wrong, Sonny. Pink and pale. Whenever I'm talking about myself, it's okay. <laughs> if you say non-male, you're talking about all the. All the ninety-eight other sexes. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. only ninety-eight. We trimmed it down. <laughs> uh, TPS TPS keeps giving super chats. Says we need to be for liberty, not just against CRT. I think all of us totally agree. And that's something we've talked about most more recently. Carrie is like being mm-hmm. very clear about it's. What I want to pause on it because it's it's very important that we. One of my concerns is that. We can get a lot of people to be reactionary about CRT, but without a clear understanding for what actually is the antidotes to all this, we just end up right back in this same situation really Do we quickly. know, though? Well, we know that at least philosophically, individualism is the answer. What the implementation is, we can argue about, but the goal needs to be, like, I'd rather have you argue with Michael Malice about anarchy with you both wanting to be some form of individualism than like a conservative version of a different kind of collectivism arise, which will happen if we don't be very clear about what the antidote is. Well, and I think, I think utopians have some sort, whether it's learned or just part of their psychological makeup, they have an inability to find beauty or value in the world as it is. I think, I I think there's something in the core of that. Like they're, they have a tough time at, looking at the world and, and getting sustenance from the world as it is. They instead mm. need to change it into something that they conceptualize. 
And so to your point, Sonny, I think, you know, what, what is the answer? I think the answer is reminding people where, where meaning is and why freedom works hand in hand with you being able to create your meaning in your life and why collectivists or people who have utopian mindsets and they have this specific thing that they think the world needs to be, why that has been tried and tried and tried and just doesn't work. And such a good point to tie it mm -hmm. to happiness and to tie it to, I mean, that's the other thing is not to just stay in the political realm, but tie it to psychology and ethics. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that there's something there in terms of we have to remind ourselves that we can find meaning and value and sustenance in life as it is. And, and I mean, frankly, that's what most religions are trying to teach you. Yes. Um, you know, but all sorts of psychology as well. Um, and I think also we need to remind ourselves that this happiness craze is just that a craze. Like we think we need to be happy and that if we're not being happy that, that we're failing somehow in our life. When it, whereas I think it's much more about meaning and that happiness comes and goes and probably happiness exists a lot more if you're on a path of meaning, doing something that's worthwhile to you personally. But, you know, I mean, as, as Jordan Peterson says, like base mm -hmm. your life on meaning, on responsibility, on meaning, because when, when the tide, when the storm comes in and knocks you around, like it's going to take your happiness away for that moment, at least. But if you're, concept of, about what a successful life is, is whether or not I'm happy, then it, when you're not happy, you're going to double down on that, on that unhappiness. You're going to, you're going to tell yourself, not only am I unhappy, but I'm doing something wrong because I'm unhappy, as opposed to saying life is going to contain a lot of unhappiness. And that's part of this story, this mountain that you're climbing. So I think there's something in, in that. And I think that there's, that's why culture and the stories that we tell ourselves are as important as as who we elect this next term. And individualism allows us to have meaning as individuals, like to decide what that is for ourselves, which right. collectivism doesn't. And I mean, the, you don't want to be assigned point. your meaning by the Yeah, state. the downside with individualism is you must decide for yourself. And I think that's what scares a lot of people, right? A lot of people don't want the decision. It's responsibility. Right. This yeah. is why Second Amendment to me is all about self-responsibility. It's not just, oh, we've got to protect ourselves from the government or we need the opportunity to protect freedom. It's you need to take responsibility for the safety of your own family. Yep. A and so, you know, from a robber or whatever, fundamentally, that's what right. it is. Right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So uh, thank you, right. TPS. He gives us two bucks and says, my skin is pale, but my culture is Catholic. <laughs> and that's the last one I can see. Well, another one from TPS says, CRT isn't just anti-white, it's anti-human, racist at everyone. Next racism is still racist. CRT is the KKK with robes inside out, still the Klan. Yeah, and there's an argument to be nice? made, which I think is... I don't think this is nice. It's not nice. He put Seriously, nice in quotes. is it nice? No, it's okay. not. It's not but nice. It sells it, itself as nice. Yeah, it sells itself. It's. it's I, yeah. I'm sure yeah. people under the white hoods were smiling at each other and shaking each other's hands and being quite friendly. I mean, <laughs> they enjoyed football games together or whatever. Yeah. Right? I, it's not like they were just all jerks or something. They just yeah. thought that they had the right thing for everybody else, just just like the CRTers do now. 
And yeah, I just wanted, there's an argument to be made here also that um, it's not, there's an argument to be made that it's not just the inverse of the KKK, but it's literally the same philosophy applied differently. Like right. if you look at, you know, Cecil brought up the Smithsonian definitions of whiteness. They're all pretty good. Showing up on time, reason, like anyone who actually believes that those are whiteness things must have a pretty low opinion of non-white people. Right. Um, so it's actually almost indistinguishable from the racism of the the 19th century. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine being a black person and it's like, and that comes out? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. That's, right. I mean, could you agree with that? That's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's really insulting to, to anyone who's not white. Math um, is not accessible to you because you're black. Right. I mean. Right. It's a tool of the white patriarchal oppression. Yeah. <clears throat> super so, Iron Bob says, a culture that. I didn't mean to on your super chatters, by the way. I'm just like, okay. we cannot, no, no, we cannot no. say that this, there's anything redeeming about this. Like, it's not no. nice. It's really no, you're gross. Right. I, I completely agree. And in fairness to the super chatter, they put it in quotes and I didn't read yeah. the quotes. So, um, Sorry, but I think Carrie chat, was right. She said they person. present themselves as nice. They, 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 they slap a veneer on it that convinces people who are trying to be against racism that, hey, this is the way you do it, right? Um, but it's still the same poison. Uh, all right, Super Iron Bob says, a culture that produces a glut of old people not worth respecting will not produce respecting old people. Is he, uh, is that an anti-boomer comment? Is he? I think so. <laughs> I'm kind of with so. him on that one. Yeah, I, me too. Yeah, I think I think if I understand it correctly, I agree. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Joy Peru gives us a buck um, for no apparent reason. Mary Faith uh, Tomlinson gives us a sticker, which YouTube describes to me as a pair character turning around, waving his hand, saying "Hey, you!" while lowering his glasses. I always read. I just read the YouTube metadata because I'm not looking at the actual super chats. <laughs> TPS says uh, "nice" equals. White savior left and the noble savages. Yeah, I yeah. There's a there's a there's a noble savage concept embedded in the anti racist quote anti racism CRT stuff, um, or not? Yeah, and, and and a not noble savages. There's also a there's also a version of like a noblesse oblige, like the um, what was the like the colonists have to go like. This this idea that um, all these good things in society came from white culture, but we have to like this is all this is all these things are white, right? Right. Which obviously is not true. Uh, I'll fight I you feel naked. Like it matters. Do you ever like right. sit Who around? Cares? And, oh, I really like this invention. I wonder if this was a white inventor or a black inventor <laughs> yes. who made this like really amazing cup of coffee that I have here. That's this cup is electronic and it and it rests on this little platform and heats up. Oh, they were Chinese, probably almost assured. I just hope that was a white person because otherwise, <laughs> who th nobody thinks that. Well, I remember you know, my. I was just go gonna say my 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 dad in the nineties like. I remember multiple occasions where some news story would come on about the first X, Y, and Z to do X, Y, and Z, whether it's a woman to be whatever or a black person or whatever. And his point was like, you know, who, who knows exactly what the correct amount 
of that is like if you've been living under a system where people were not allowed to do whatever and now they are and you're celebrating that i get it like i get the the desire to celebrate that person being of a specific category that was previously prohibited from doing whatever but you you know there comes a point where it's like then you're simply just the more you say it you're increasing and strengthening the divisions between people by reminding them that they're different, reminding them that at every turn that they're a specific color or a specific race or a specific gender or whatever, you know, exactly. It's it's like, it's making it important and it's not important. It's not important. You know, did Denzel Washington, he, he won his Oscar first black man to win, you know, and hey, he's just Denzel Washington. As far as I'm concerned, he is a great actor. (laughs) very charismatic i mean hello like why does it matter yeah no i agree with you i'll fight you that's the society we're supposed to be working toward or i thought we were and i thought we were kind of there and then yeah in the 80s 90s i felt like we were getting there um yeah 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 yeah. i think so i'll fight you naked says how many nazis thought they were the bad guy oh completely did you ever see that show where it's like a sitcom or something where one Nazi they're bombing some stuff and one Nazi SS guy turns to the other and goes, are we the baddies? Right. That's, <laughs> and that's a meme. That's a meme yeah. that you can share as a, as a gift. It's some now, British I show, great. I think. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, I can't name the sitcom, but <laughs> it's so funny. B Allen says, we're not Carter and Carrie created by boomers. Is that an indictment of boomers? Or is that, no, I, I don't know, are you trying to- That's positive. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. As Gen so Xers, is Ibram X Kendi, um, As Gen Xers, I don't know if you're a Gen Xer, Carrie, but Carter, I think you yes. are. Um, I am indeed, so is Carrie. The boomers totally screwed up. I mean, granted, like Gen X is pretty cool, but the, the broken homes and the, the craziness, the hardships, the suffering that they caused us to make us so cool <laughs> is, uh, you know, nuts. Yeah, agree. This has been a long show. It's probably time yes. to wrap up. <laughs> yes, huh? Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> My yeah. brain lasts about two hours, and then it's like, I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. if we didn't hit all the super chats. But before we go, I, I know we didn't, we didn't plug your music at the beginning, Cecil. Can you just tell people where they can find you if they want to support you now that you've been canceled yes. <laughs> officially? Yes, at least, again, canceled just in one venue. So I, I don't want to play up my hand as if I have had everything taken away from me. But you can hear my music on YouTube, Spotify. Um, YouTube is Cecil Charles Official. Spotify is just Cecil Charles. It's also on uh, Apple, Amazon, all those places. Um, Instagram is Cecil Charles official, the YouTube channel. I don't know if most people watching YouTube, um, they may not actually know that as content providers, we only get to start making ad revenue after you hit a thousand subscribers. So every subscriber that I can get is, is helpful. Even if you just like click that little, don't send notifications, just, you know, just to do me a, a do me a solid, even if you never want to hear from me again, that's okay. It helps out on our end. So, um, and then CecilCharles.com is my, is my website. Um, so I, and I will be playing, um, tomorrow, either evening or afternoon. I just got some info. I might, I might have some other gigs, but we will see. I'm going to be streaming a show, uh, to make up for the show that got canceled tomorrow night. It should nice. be, tomorrow, yeah, it should be tomorrow night. But so please, um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cecil Charles official, 
and so that you'll get notifications about that show. You know, what we did cool. is when we had a thousand subscribers, we had a demonetization party because we figured we it wouldn't did. be long until they would demonetize us. So right. We were that. demonetized per video right away, I think. It was, it was pretty quick. <laughs> um, now, are, are and actually, totally, are you totally no, demonetized? No, per like each video it's, gets restricted. Okay. But our clips channel, which is literally just clips from this channel, which we stopped kind of using, but we were going to use, uh, that was rejected. Their monetization application was rejected because we were too hateful or whatever the hell we are. I don't know. Um, so, Sunny, where can people read uh, and follow you? Uh, you can. I have a YouTube channel, House of Sunny. Um, my Twitter's Sunny Loman. I don't tweet that much. Um, houseofsunny.tv is my website. I'm doing a podcast now mostly. That's uh, I've been taking a little bit of time off of work, but I do a podcast weekly, House of Sunny. Cool. You can find that at any podcast place. Nice. All righty. Cool. Well, thank you, everyone, for watching. Um, please don't forget to go to unsafespace.com, and that's where you can sign up so that when we get banned, uh, you'll know where we are. And don't forget to, Carrie, come up with something creative to say about the like button. Uh smash it peacefully <laughs> we're smashing it smash peace, it mostly peace. peacefully yeah yes mostly that. yeah do a slap that like button most. yes that's right uh and we'll see you all next time thanks thanks for watching if you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, well, mostly, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to its thinky talk. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and will be recycled as part of our sustainability program. Don't be sad. You can't make an omelet without purging all dissidents. Honestly, I am worried that you have been exposed to extremist content. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.